Loaded Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. <laughs> oh God, what a scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck the lot of you. <laughs> I think Tom Naylor's going to be the nailed on holding midfielder, so it's just who goes. Unbelievable. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of Loaded Sport. The lads are back. We have got a full squad. And plenty to talk about across the sports tonight, today, this morning, this weekend, depending on when you're watching or listening. Joining me, first of all, is the man that has been here through thick and thin while we've all taken a bit of a break at one point or another. Aggie, how are you, mate? How's your week been? It's been good, thank you. I obviously had a uh, bit of a shorter week this week, so it's only been my second day working so far and I'm about to reach the weekend. So uh, it's all good, thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it certainly sounds like it as well, mate. That one much chirpier from you. So, uh, yeah, very good, mate. Good to hear. I'm glad you enjoyed the long weekend. And we'll get stuck into uh, what you got planned for this weekend towards the end of the show. Also joining us, not only have we got the return of the fourth man of Loaded Sport, we have got the return of the quest for the brand deal, the Under Armour brand deal. Sam, the hat is back after two weeks missing. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Back with a bang. Under Armour, hit me up. You know what to do. I'm uh, I'm here, I'm ready. Let's get this fucking show on the road, boys. Absolutely. And last but by no means least, the man that has just enjoyed a lovely golfing holiday with the lads. Kemp, welcome back, mate. Break down the holiday before we get stuck into proceedings this week. Mr. Dawson, Mr. White, man with the mic, you little treasure trove of treats, you. Uh, Yeah, I'm absolutely delighted to be back. Thank you for holding down the fort, the both of you. Much appreciated while I've been away, and obviously Sam as well. Um, I'm a long afterthought. <laughs> I live so badly the same. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, to be fair, I can't really, I can't really remember much of it. You know, when you've had like four days back at work, it's like it just feels like a dream. It was like a fever dream. It didn't really happen, but no, amazing golf, amazing weather, amazing times. Uh, we 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 crowned and christened um, a new nickname, pretty much for everybody. El Ico for for Doggy, El Bobo for Dibs, Bobby Charlton hair, and um, and Much for uh, for Mudge, because in nice. in Spain they pronounce the J's uh, rather than yeah. actual J. So yeah. so so Mudge's name is Muck, which obviously we had we had quite a lot of fun with out there. But yeah, really really enjoyed it. Um, Do you want to go into your nickname and why, or should we move on? Um, that's that's that. Move on to the courses. So we played. I showed you the the, the picture from La Manga, one of the probably the best course we played, where Arnold Palmer hold out for an eagle on the last hole, and it's a really historic golf club with 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 an unbelievable setting. And uh, yeah, really really good. Really enjoyed it, and uh, got a little memento as well from La Manga. So this is a Titleist Pro V1 ball. For anybody that doesn't know, that's basically the best ball in golf. And on the side of it, as you can see there, um, La Manga Club. Yes, and you'll be playing with that anytime soon. Absolutely not. I've got a couple in my bag. I've got a couple in my bag that I bought and I'm going to play with. But this one, that's that's staying on the desk and that's for me. So unbelievable time. Really enjoyed it and really enjoyed listening to the podcast um, while I was out there as well, while I was away. So again, thank you, boys, and uh, ready to get back to it. No problem. Anyway, fuck, fuck your golf. I want to know what I'm interested in. Number one meal. What best meal I'll be there? Got to be about food, oh, baby. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm quite interested in the question there because I've asked Dog and I'm interested to hear if Kemp has the same answer for a reason I'll explain after. 
I feel like I know what dog said. What do you think dog said? Paella. Paella. Yeah, you've got to say that with you. Authentic. And the reason that I think he said said it because he shared it with me. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, I don't think it was that. I don't think it was that for me because it was nice. The food was nice out there, but the Spanish aren't really like renowned for like, they're not really foodies, are they? They're just, you know, it's, it's not really that sort of place. But I think the best food I had out there, and it might sound really basic and people might think, oh, that's just, that's just fucking pathetic. But after I played a, a, a round of golf in lovely hot weather, I was just about to chill for the rest of the day, a pint of beer, Pater Amstel or Estrella and a club sandwich. Oh, no, I respect that. I respect the club that. sandwiches over there were absolutely outstanding. And when you played Fresh. around the golf, oh, mate. And when you played around the golf, you got a beer in your hand. For me, that was the best meal and that was the best food out there. Because yeah. it was just, just I, I, when when do I ever have a club sandwich over here? You don't. So, no, so I really enjoyed it. And I thought they were, yeah, they were, they were very, very good. And the perfect little aperitif for the evening's antics. Good lad. Good answer. Like it. Great choice of word. And it is a tremendous link. You mentioned Spain, you mentioned Australia. And to celebrate your return, mate, I've poured a pint of Australia right here. So before oh, I take a word. right big gulp out of it to start proceedings, sticking with Spain, Spain under 21s, we're in the Euro 2000, oh, sorry, the Euro 2003 under 21s or whatever way you want to word it, but it's not Euro that way. Euro 2003, we're back. <laughs> we're back in the good old days. I've not started 2023 under 21 euros. Uh, we're in the final against England. We previewed it last week on episode 56. Sam uh, made some great points in terms of the impact that it could or should have on the senior squad. But England did come out 1-0 winners. Um, and I think despite Curtis Jones scoring the goal, the name that everyone was talking about was James Trafford of Manchester City and presumably soon to be Burnley with a 97th minute penalty save and then following that up with another save as well. So, uh, Sam, I'll hand it over to you, mate, while I take a big drink of this beer. can't do it, mate. I can't do it. I cannot do it. I cannot rob the man of his one chance to authentically get it in. Aggie, take it away, mate. Coming I'll home. leave it with Aggie then while I have a drink. Cheers, lads. There we go. It's coming you. home. No, it's come home. You're fucking butchered it. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, no. I'll no, always keep saying it's coming home. The one chance you had to say it and you've butchered it. Nope. For fuck's sake. Nope. Nope. I'll keep on saying it's coming home because we've still got more tournaments to go out there and win. And I'm going to be does it, uh, that. does it not count, does it, unless it's a senior No, squad. of course it counts. Of course it counts. We'll we still won it, but okay. It's come home. There you go. It's come home. I've got a question. I've got a question. Yes. It, the World Cup in 2026 in America, Mexico and oh, Canada. Oh, I'd love to go. Do you reckon we'll I'd be big to enough to get well. some kind of press so pass we, by then? So we're getting press passes for MetLife. Fine. We'll piss oh, it. We'll piss it. We'll be on TalkSport by then. Three-year deal. Oh, easy. Easy. Sam and Jordan and Sam. Morning morning arguments. <laughs> Ripping rip me to bits. No. <laughs> if, if, anyone, if anyone here, it's Kemp and Simon Jordan. Just Kemp chatting absolute shit and Simon Jordan getting in a twist over it. <laughs> he would get in a big twist over it, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. Um, if if we do win that tournament, Aggie, and the men men's senior team do win that tournament, um, obviously Southgate will have had to have gone by then if that's going to happen. But if we do win that, are you then going to turn around at the end of that tournament and say it's coming home? I'm not, for the simple reason we'll have won all of them and we'll be reigning champions across all levels. So well, we've not won the World Cup yet. Adele like is going to mention that. Ooh, in that. Like the ally. Like the ally. She's the ally. We've not won the Women's World Cup. 
the Euros. We're the defending European champions, are we not? Yeah, but we didn't win the Women's World Cup, did we? Well, that's coming soon now. Yeah, that's coming soon here on Load of Sport. We'll, we'll document it. There's, there you go. Love the segue for you there, boys. You're welcome. Love that. <laughs> anyway, Sam, the final. James mm. Trafford, the hero. <laughs> Yeah. I know it kind of takes away from what we spoke about last week, but just as a game, as an occasion, as a trophy, as a moment, talk us through it. I, I, I didn't watch it all, mate. So I literally put it on. I put it on with about 10, maybe even five minutes left to go. Seeing England were winning 1-0. Funnily enough, um, I had gone to the Lotus Lounge in Alfred, or you can eat Chinese, and made an absolute mess of myself. Um, I was uh, just, I just pulled up back to house, checked my phone, because um, you should never do that while you're driving. So I che- pulled up, checked the phone, seen one nil. I thought, you know what? I've got to quickly put it on. Obviously, it's on. It were on UEFA.com. I know we're on Channel Four, but I still went for UEFA.com. Watched the last five minutes of it, and uh, yeah, it was just it was just an onslaught of Spain, as, as you'd expect, just lumping ball in England camp to the edge of their own box, and uh, VAR, lo and behold, decided to give a penalty on the back of the 97th minute, literally last kick, pretty much of of the whole tournament. Um, yeah. Spain striker Colwell and many others the player of the tournament by, oh, by the end so unlucky un- for him unbelievable unbelievable player what a player he's going to be uh, but yeah obviously then uh, Trafford come out with an unbelievable I went to an unbelievable penalty save actually I won't big it up that much it was just a fucking clutch penalty save poor penalty by by you know or any stretch of the imagination really nowhere near corner good eye for the keeper but you've got to save it you've got to go the right way and he did the drama of that with last kick of the game fantastic so yeah England rightful winners over the whole tournament not conceded a single goal that would have been the first time they'd have conceded a goal and it had been from, from the spot kick so not even a goal from open play. So what a tournament for the boys, that back four. I know we discussed last week that going forward, they didn't really have too many options. I excited as your Anthony Gordons and, and that sort of players, but you're looking at the back four and, you know, if they're going that that long without conceding a goal, especially the centre halves, because that's where England are quite weak, the senior squad. So yeah, it's um, brilliant, brilliant news for us as a nation and the, the under 21 boys. Yeah, definitely, and, and after what happened at the World Cup, it's nice to uh, be on the back on the good end of penalty drama, which we know England, if anyone, rarely sees the positive side. But yeah, it was uh, it was good to see. But Ken James Trafford, uh, a name that you've mentioned quite a few times with Sheffield United potentially needing a goalkeeper going into the Premier League, someone that you were hoping Sheffield United would chuck some funds at to get. It looks like your fellow promoted team Burnley will be uh, will be signing him, but. Uh, that's got to be a big moment for him, hasn't it? It really puts him in the spotlight because let's be honest, is he going to be getting in the City team anytime soon? No. So unless he goes out on loan again, you know, he needs to look at a move to really sort of secure himself that first team consistent football. So what do you think that will do for him as a name that you already had on your radar for, for your club? Yeah, it'll only work wonders for him. And yeah, you'll get exposure and you'll get minutes in the maybe the City B team playing in the whatever the equivalent to the Johnston's Paint Trophy is now, the EFL Trophy or whatever it is. He'll get minutes in that. He'll get minutes in friendlies and under-21 games. But ultimately, nothing replaces first-team football no matter what level you're playing at. And ultimately, that's that's the, that's got to be the goal for James Trafford going forward, especially on the back of that performance. Um, I think you'll see now City 
it's becoming more of a dynasty. It's becoming more domination. They're becoming more of a force. And I think you look at Real Madrid and how they do things. If they've got a promising young player that they unfortunately won't be able to just get, give minutes to because they're giving minutes to the more senior, experienced and, and sort of well-known and notorious players, they'll often put a buyback clause, clause in the contract. Um, James, I believe um, I have seen that in, in the Burnley deal yeah. that, that that will be in place. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I didn't even know that that was 100% what they were doing. I just sort of surmise that, that that's what they would be doing. And, and it doesn't surprise me because I genuinely do think in four or five years' time, I think James Trafford, if he goes on, carries on doing the things that he's doing and, and does the right things, there's no reason why he can't be England's number one. So a really, really bright future for him. Really, really delighted to see him perform really well. Um, just a shame that that the Blades have not got not quite got the the, the purse strings to uh, to be able to pull off that transfer ourselves. But no, you know what? He's going to go to Burnley. I know he'll be in capable hands with Vincent Company and his team down there. So best of luck to him, and uh, fingers crossed we see him as uh, England's number one one day. Absolutely, and Aggie is a man that uh, as Sam tried to get out of you is the uh, it's coming home mascot. England women's team have won the Euros. England under-21s have won the Euros next year. It's England's men's turn. Can we complete the treble on that, on early sight or are they, as always, going to be the ones to let us down? I feel they're going to be the ones to let us down. Um, for the same reasons that I mention every time we speak about England, Kemp has convinced me that Gareth Southgate is not the one to help us get over the line and win a trophy. And I think he's been the one that's standing in the way of this England side for some time now. And it's kind of like people will ask why we've not won anything with the golden generation. I think in years to come, if we don't see the, the, the end of Southgate's reign as England manager, we'll be asking the same question. Why is this generation of talent not met the expectations that, that should be there of them? And I think Southgate's the reason for that. Of course, when it comes to the Euros, I'll be hooked on it and I'll be all aboard the hype train shouting it's coming home and everything else but as it stands at the moment I'm being a realist and I think no whilst Gareth Southgate's in charge we're not going to get over the line with this England squad Interesting but congratulations to England and 21s it was good to see well I say it was good to see the final at least after the uh, discussed lack of coverage last week but hopefully with that win they uh, they might stand in a better place of getting some kind of TV time. But Kemp, anything final to add on the uh, England under twenty ones or anything to do with it before we move on to our next subject? Yeah, um, I was watching the England under twenty ones progress. I watched them a little bit in the final as well. And before you know, I've said before on on the podcast about giving the under twenty ones a chance in friendly games and stuff like that. Just get them in. Why not? Games against San Marino, Malta, Macedonia, whoever it might be. Get them in and get them involved. And I think. I kind of I reinforced that a little bit after the performance in the in this tournament because I understand maybe in qualifiers, but in friendlies and stuff like that, why not? Why not throw half of the under 21s in, half of the senior team in? It gives them experience being around the main, you know, the, the main setup. And ultimately it gives them a chance to shine. And what Sam said really has stuck with me um in the last few days on the under 21 situation in the sense that a lot of these players, they're 23 and, you know, very, very close to 24, some of them. So, you know, they're, they're probably not going to be, you know, mainstays and main players in, in the England setup because you look at Jude Bellingham, who's 19, who's, you know, he could get in the under-21s for another four or five years. Um, and he's, and he's you know, our, probably our best player, our best midfielder. So you've got to give these guys opportunities. You've got to give them a chance to prove what they're made of outside of this format. 
Um, and I think going forward, hopefully Southgate gets binned off and we uh, we see a, a manager who comes in who's a little bit more inventive and a little bit more adventurous, especially when it comes to friendlies and easy qualifiers. You know, get all these lads on bench and let's see them have a run out. Give them a chance. You'd think, oh, wouldn't you? I mentioned last week, obviously, you wouldn't have a chance to be a part of the conversation that at the age of 22, 23, they should already be knocking on England doors, shouldn't they? Senior, senior door. And if they're not doing that, and, and to be honest with you, let's be fair, half 90% of them look nowhere near at that level. Um, so, yeah, for me, it always seems like it kind of jumps that generation to the under 21s because they should already be knocking on the door of senior side. So, yeah, it is, a, it is an interesting conversation. Yeah, if they're, if they're good enough, they're already there, aren't they? Like your Trents, who, who's come through and who's a bit older now, but, you know, Brashford and Jude and other names that we mentioned last week. Well, give them a chance. Um, give them a chance to try and look good enough. Give them an opportunity to, to, to try and break in because, like Sam said, they, they should be knocking on the door anyway if they are going to be mainstays. You know, I, I completely agree, and that's why I say I, I remember Sam saying that and it really resonated with me and I completely agree with it. But let's just give them a, give them a, give them a shot. Do you know what I mean? In these games, what's the worst that can happen? Absolutely. When you're playing Sam Marino, there's absolutely no reason to not be calling McCullough Langstaff up and giving him a chance is there, but uh, it's what it is. Uh, we keep saying it and it's not changed anytime soon. But anyway, that's international football. And again, congratulations to England under-21s next year. Hopefully the men's senior team can complete that treble. But moving on now to the domestic side of things. And to be honest, it's been quite a quiet week uh, when it comes to... Uh, Premier League discussions, transfers and all that kind of stuff. But I think one of the main things that has been in the news over this last week to discuss is the latest in terms of Saudi Arabia's quest to become a real force within um, football. And I've put a list of players uh, together that have officially moved this summer. Cristiano Ronaldo, as we know, kind of opened that door, was the first domino to fall in place. But this summer... Names like Brozovic, Benzema, Kante, uh, Jota, Celtic one, not Liverpool one, uh, Ruben Neves, Koulibaly, uh, Firmino, Mendy, uh, Milankovic, Savic um, have all moved to the Saudi Arabian League to play there next season. Um, And it's also been heavily rumoured that Fabinho, the Liverpool midfielder, is pretty close to having a fee agreed for him to then discuss personal terms. And the name that has really, really been in the news mainly over the last sort of 48 hours or so is another Liverpool midfielder and their captain, Jordan Henderson, who uh, looks apparently the latest is, which has come out in the last couple of hours. He has agreed that he will be going. He'll be joining Steven Gerrard after he recently took on a manager role there and will be getting paid around uh, four times his current Liverpool wage, which, if rumours are to be believed, will be over £500,000 per week. So, um, and you know, he's in his mid-30s. He's probably only got a couple of years left at his peak. So I just want to, I don't know who wants to jump in first on this, but, you know, you yeah, look at those names. Mind. Yeah, so Sam, you look at those names, all names that there's no one that I would say is past it. it you no. know, they're all, they're all players that could conceivably play for a top-half Premier League team and they're going to Saudi Arabia. They're not going to be playing Champions League. They're not going to be on the brightest stage, but they're certainly going to be on bigger money, and the majority of those are more money than they've ever earned. Even someone like a Karim Benzema, who's a World Cup winner, champ, multiple-time Champions League winner, he's going to be a top, top paid, paid player, a paid player for Real Madrid, and he's going to be making a coin to become sort of the new face of that league uh, alongside Ronaldo. So what are your thoughts on the players who are stepping away from sort of the you know, top European leagues when they're still in their prime or still around it to take on that big payday? And what does it mean potentially for the future of football on the European side of things? 
I don't think it'll last long. I think it'll be a you know, five-year stint, and I think it'll probably fizzle out pretty quickly, like like Russia did and China did. Uh, so if it's just going to follow that vein, then I probably think it won't last very long. But I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves too much. I'd probably say eighty percent of them transfers you said they're all they're all over thirty. You look, Benzema's like nearly thirty-seven. Jordan Henderson definitely thirty-three. He looked shot last year in that Liverpool team, um, and I can't blame them. I can't blame any any single one of them. They're all going to go there if they're willing to pay that stupid money for the likes of Jordan Henderson. Then why wouldn't he take it? I think if he left, if he was to leave Liverpool now for an English team, I think he's not going to. Probably signed for a team that's probably in the top half of the Premier League. So yeah, I think go over, go over there, enjoy a bit of sun. You know, two year contract on five hundred grand a week. You you're laughing, aren't you? So no, I like to say power to them. Um, whether it's ethical or not, whether this money's coming from, that's a completely different matter. Uh, but while the money's there for them, I say make hay while the sun is shining because I can't see this whole thing lasting too long. They don't seem to have have the infrastructure there. It's not really a it's not been an organic process, is it? The, the growth of, of their league, they're just trying to do it all overnight, which it's like, ironically, it's like building your house on sand, which ironic for them because they are in the middle of the fucking desert. So, uh, yeah, it's probably not going to last. I wouldn't have thought five years' time, I would think it's probably going to fizzle out a bit, but that's just my opinion. You know, I might, might well be wrong in five years' time and there might be new Super League and the power in the, power in the footballing world, but I can't see it myself. Maybe so, mate. Maybe so. And you mentioned Russia and China there, and absolutely, you know, a few years ago they did try to sort of make that jump. But for me personally, Saudi Arabia have made an even quicker advance on that, and they're getting players before while they are still in some kind of range of their prime or at a decent level. I think Russia they were buying players other than maybe a Hulk who were you know sort of past their prime. Eto's, your Roberto Carlos's. Yeah. Um, China as well, like the biggest name for them probably is Iniesta, who was you know well past his his prime at that point, could still play of course, but was certainly you know not 32 to 33 that kind of thing. So I do think Saudi Arabia because they have got that bit more money and and they're clearly in terms of their economies, that's one of the biggest reasons why they're doing it. Have have made very much quicker advances. But Aggie is a more as a more traditional man. Do you worry what it could potentially mean for the future of football or? You know where players could end up. Where before we might see them coming to the Premier League or players fighting to be a Real Madrid player and play on the biggest stages, and what it could mean for Champions League football and things like that. Or are you not too concerned about players taking that payday that Sam mentioned while they've got the opportunity? I think that it's a no-brainer if they get given that opportunity, like what Sam said, that they're going to take it at, at their ages. Of course, knowing that retirement's just around the corner. Um, some of the players that they've signed, like you've already mentioned, Benzema, I think Kante's gone over there as well. These players that, like you say, are on the, the home straight of their careers at the moment. When they start looking for the players like you, Rice and you, Jude Bellingham, and then they start competing, because financially they'd be able to, of course. When they start looking at them sort of players, then it'll be something that I'd start to be maybe a little bit more concerned about and think, you know what? They're trying to compete with the likes of the Premier League and, you know, La Liga and, and Ligue 1. But at the moment, it's just players that, you know, have been there and, and done it and now just taking a paycheck before it's time for retirement. It's just an extortionate paycheck, which is why we're all talking about it. I think that's a good yeah. point, to be fair, about the, you know, Rice and Bellingham lots, because I think yeah. the, there's only been really been one superstar name that they've all been linked with, and that was Bernardo Silva. And that's yeah. kind of fizzled out over the last month or so. So I, I, don't, I don't think there's any, any danger of him leaving. So, yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's definitely quality players in there, and they've still got some of them have still got a good five to eight years left on on the thing. But overall, I think there's this probably an average to slightly above average players. And then you've got your old superstars, you know, your Ronaldo, Benzema that are going over there. But 
I don't think it's anything to worry about myself too much. Yeah, I, think I completely agree with you there, Sam. That a great point from Aggie there of if they start attacking sort of these really young players like your Rices, like your Bellingham's, yeah. like a, an Mbappe or a Harlan, you know, the real top, top, top tier, that's when it might start thinking, oh shit, right, okay, it's, this could this could genuinely change the face of football. But yeah, it could be a flash in a the pan. They could get excited this summer and try and, re, you know, try and really build. And then if the quality of football isn't great next season, will that put players off going? Or will they think, oh, well, they, you know, they're earning a, a massive paycheck, so I'll go there for two or three years and take it. Who knows? I think the, the quality of the football and, and how long they sustain that for. But Kemp is someone that, of a, a Sheffield United fan who they could potentially uh, bring on one or two of these players as they as they get towards the end. Uh, Kyle Walker, maybe. Kyle Walker's given the opportunity to, uh, I suppose this is something that could potentially come into play at some point. But a Kyle Walker who's sort of 34, 35, season or two left in him before they might have made that return to a hometown club to you know, play with their heart for the last couple of seasons. Now they've got that option of going to get a huge payday. Could Do you think we'll see quite a lot of that now where players will go there as opposed to maybe returning to a, a hometown team that are at a decent level to play with the heart and, and go more with their, their wallet and their future for, for the last couple of years? Yeah, and I think I'd do the same, to be honest. I think anybody who says they wouldn't is a, probably a liar. Um, or they've got very, very, very strong morals and, and fair play to them. Um, yeah, if you're Kyle Walker... That, that's what you do. That's the move. You're 35, you're 36. Like you say, you've got a couple of years left. What do you do? Do you go back to Sheffield and, you know, be, be with your hometown fans and get that adoration and whatever? That adoration is not going to pay your great grandkids' bills. You know, because that's what it is. It's not, you know, these footballers aren't going there for wealth because they've got yeah. that. They've got that in abundance. You know, they get paid plenty where they are, I'm sure. They, they're going there for generations. Well, will you say that? It's, yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're paid very well up until they're, you know, sort of, let's say, mid-30s. Exactly. This is exactly so, the point. Yeah. So they're going there for generational wealth. They're going there so that, that they play there from 36 to 38 or 36 to 40. And then when they finish, that's it. They don't have to worry about anything forever. Like, they are absolutely set. Um, so I get it. it. It makes sense. Like Sam's just said, he's hit the nail on the head. Make hay while the sun shines. Um, and do you know what? what? What gives us, what gives the Premier League, what gives England the divine right to have all the best players in the world? It doesn't. Yeah. So, you know, what, what, what's the difference, in my opinion, between these players going to Saudi and these players going to the Bundesliga or La Liga? I don't watch any of those leagues. So it don't make any difference to me where they go. So, do you know what? Make hay where the, while the sun shines. I get that it's a, um, a tricky subject and a tricky regime and, and, and stuff like that. We're on Loaded Sport, don't tend to talk about that sort of stuff and I'm going to avoid talking about any of that as you boys have as well but purely from a footballing standpoint go and make your money lads go and make your money I mean I mean career. I mean we've all we've been guilty of it as a country we we've bought fucking sky along for god's sake sky and the premier league have absolutely monopolized football for the last 10 15 years so you know it's not like we're we've got our hands uh, hands clean when it comes to money and you know yeah. sports watching <laughs> and all that bollocks and there's a couple of clutch points isn't there you look at 92 when sky came in you look at Roman Abramovich coming into Chelsea, that was the real big first whale that was bringing all this money over. You know, people talk about Man United and their spending. Well, you know, Man United went under Fergie before Abramovich. You know, yes, they probably spent more than anybody else, but they also brought in more than anybody else. I think Abramovich was the first one, really, what you saw. And maybe Jack Walker at Blackburn, actually, before that. But you see these, these guys coming in and spending loads and loads of money that the club's actually not making making real losses on the balance sheets, but but paying the way to success. And ultimately, you know, that's spiraled out of control, spiraled, spiraled, spiraled. And now we're in this position here with, 
with the uh, with the Saudi Arabian situation. So interesting to see. I agree with all your points about if as long as they don't take players like sort of in the prime, kind of between that eighteen to sort of late twenties age. Then, then I'm good with it. I think the one that's bothered me the most so far is Ruben Neves, and I mean he's not the best player in the world. No, so. no. That's I just what I mean, mean in terms of I just mean in terms of age. You know, he's only 26. You know, he's got a long time. You know, he's probably got 10 years left in football, and he's already gone there. But no, he's not a superstar, though, is he? He's not a no, world no, no, class player. I mean. But yeah. that's what I mean. That's why it doesn't bother me. Whereas if it was a 26 or 27 or 28 year old that had, you know, was, yeah. was a superstar. I'd be like, hmm, not sure about that. Which is why the Bernardo Silva one worried me. So I'm glad to see that that's on the back burner. Yeah, and it, look, I've um, I've just put it out on Twitter that we're recording right now. We'll see if we get any votes on what people's opinions are. But let us know in the Discord. Let us know on social media what you think. Carl Walker is a perfect example, being linked with Sheffield United. And I'm sure if it looks like he is leaving Man City, a, a team in Saudi Arabia would come in. So put in that position. What way would you go? I think I've seen, I think I've seen today, and that's a good question to ask, but I think I have seen today that um, it is either City or Bayern Munich. I don't think there are any other contenders in for for Carl Walker at the moment from what I've seen, but it's a good conversation to have. I'm going to ask you, Dawson, because you've not really had too much of an input on this particular subject. We, me and Kemper have just said, obviously, you know, because it's not a current superstar, uh, that's not being linked or going. Why do you think that's not that? Why do you think that will bother us? So when that time comes, because I think it will happen at some point. I think there will be a huge name linked to them. That someone's and it's going to happen at some point. Someone banging the prime uh, and is going to be linked to Saudi Arabia. Why do you think that will become a problem for us? By us, do you mean like us as a sort? Well, yeah, of us, us as an opinion, in general. Yeah, us, us as an opinion. Why would it bother us if a, a genuine star goes? I think it's. I think that's there's two points to it. Is a the accessibility, so you're not seeing them, you know, and you match your days, your Sunday football, your Super Sundays or whatever, but also the impact that that could have on the quality of football that you generally would watch. So if you do watch the Premier League, if loads of players start going over there, is that going to impact the quality of the Premier League? If you like to watch your Champions League or Europa League, European football, is a load of players going over there going to impact the quality of the football that you are used to watching? Naturally, if a shitload of players go over to Saudi Arabia, there's going to be some kind of TV deal. But are there going to be enough players that would make that a great league to watch? Or are they going to be, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't know how many teams there are in Saudi League, but let's say 10. If there's 10 teams and each of those teams have got three or four above average players or really good players that you want to see, is that going to make for great watching? Is that going to make for great teams in a great league I don't think so personally so I think that's part of it is A there's not going to be enough people that go over there to make it a must-see league but also the more people that do go over there that's going to have an impact on the football that you do watch and you do have access to so I think that for me is, is probably the main concern Good answer Thank you very much but again we're going to come to you mate because Chesterfield have played their first pre-season game at home me you and Kempi were in attendance on Tuesday this week to see them play Sheffield Wednesday in Drew Talbot's testimonial Kempi will be there I think he holds a record for shortest time between sitting in the home stand and the away stand uh, at the same stadium he sat in the home stand on Tuesday he'll be in the away stand on Saturday got to be a world record or at least top 10 but anyway Aggie talk us through what you thought about the performance playing a team that has just got promoted to the championship, both teams playing a relatively full-strength side or a near to full strength for the majority of the game. Based on what you saw, what do you think that, you know, what kind of confidence has it, has it improved confidence, impacted it in terms of the season coming? 
Um, yeah, it's improved it from a defensive standpoint. The goalkeeper, Harry Tyra, I think, performed quite well. I think his positioning still left a little bit to be desired, but I think with a young goalkeeper, you're going to expect a couple of errors here and there. He maybe came out for the ball when he didn't need to, that kind of stuff as a sweeper-keeper. Um, I think when we had possession, we maintained it well. We were comfortable, we were confident on the ball. And then we weren't afraid to push forward with the ball. What we did do is we got to the final third, and like we've been doing for the last couple of years, and me and you, Skin, we've spoken about this at length, we've not been putting the ball into the box. We've not been doing anything in the final third. We've been messing about with the ball, and sometimes it's cost us. And against a side like Sheffield Wednesday, if you're not going to have those sort of efforts, it is going to eventually cost you. I know it's only a friendly, and it's not that big of a deal, but this is the time to you know adjust to those sort of changes that need to be made, ready for when you know the season does start. And... When we made all those changes on, I think it was the 65th minute, we looked like a much fresher side, a quicker side, but we didn't have that confidence. We didn't have that composure when we were on the ball either. There were just mistakes in, in different areas of the pitch that ultimately led to the defeat. But no, while we had the, the strongest 11 on there, I think I didn't see enough from Will Grigg, but I think that's not so much down to him. That's more towards the midfield that weren't really creating those chances for him. And normally with Mandeville and King on that right-hand side, we've seen times where the ball's been crossed into the box for Joe Quigley. We've got a striker now that is probably the same sort of height as Joe Quigley, but he knows how to shoot. So give the ball to him, make those sort of chances for him. And he knows where to be as an experienced striker. And as soon as we learn to utilise him a little bit more, I think we'll be in a much better position. But in general, no, I thought it was a very good performance. Leads a lot of excitement towards the new season. And against the Sheffield Wednesday side, that, like you say, for 60 minutes of the game, played their strongest side. I thought we took the game to them quite nicely. Yeah, definitely. It was just frustrating to see yet again that passing it about around the box, as you mentioned there. I was, I was explaining to Kev that that, for a lot of the season, was so frustrating. And it was no coincidence that in that sort of last six weeks of the season where they were more direct, they were making those through balls, passing into the channels. They were much more dangerous than seeing that upturn in form that got them so, so close to getting promoted. Um, so, yeah, quite frustrating to see. For me, having seen a lot of games and seeing the difference, they, they took a backward step for me um, on, on that, in that game versus Sheffield Wednesday. So I really hope that with the squad they've built, they have gone all in, that they're not going to spend the first three, six months of the season playing like that because it's no coincidence they get the ball in the box they played exactly that they got a ball in the box and they scored it was no goal but again they got it in the box the rest of the game they were messing about passing it back they didn't really get it in the box they didn't really have any other clear-cut chances and then Sheffield Wednesday made them pay with goals just after half time and then right at the death as well but uh, Kemp you were there as I mentioned um, mainly because you got to uh, you know support the team playing Sheffield Wednesday you were quite um, quite involved and quite uh, in tune and intrigued by uh, the chance you, you found them to be quite patchy as you said um, you mainly got involved when they were talking specifically about not supporting Sheffield Wednesday but uh, again seeing that seeing the non-league side you had a couple of comments in terms of that's the difference that's why the National League but again as me and Aggie have said it does seem this off-season that they have really gone in all in of this is the season we need to go up so based on what you saw do you think they stand a good chance or if not what are they missing? <clears throat> Yeah, I think they they stand a very very good chance. The the chap Dobra is it Dobra? He he's a, he's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, he to say that he's in the national league is ridiculous. I mean, he could quite easily see him playing in the championship. So uh, yeah, a very good player and a lot uh, one that I think if Chesterfield keep keep hold of him till the end of the season, I think they've done really well. Um, I think the the main thing for me, they look very solid at the back. The keeper, like Adams just said, he made a fantastic point and he's absolutely spot on. Um, looked a little bit dodgy when coming out, kind of 
I don't know if you remember Dawson, but one of the Wednesday players, he was holding the ball up, he got his back to goal and the keeper sort of came out and rushed him and it's like, and then he's in no man's land. It's like, oh, yeah. what are you doing there? You shouldn't be doing that. Um, obviously, that, that's that's a kind of a, a rookie error, um, as, as you'd say, but hopefully he'll, he'll come into it and he'll, he'll grow into the role and um, fingers crossed he'll go from there. But defensively, like I say, they look pretty solid. That Dobra looks like a really, really good player. The key thing for me is Will Grigg. <clears throat> there's no doubt that Will Grigg will be able to score at National League level. You know, there's absolutely no doubt in that. But Chesterfield, from what I've seen from the playoff final, from the, the game the other day, um, they, they fuck about with it so much. You know, on the edge of the box, in the final third, they'll get to a dangerous position. You know, they'll they'll beat the press or they'll counter an opponent and then, you know, they'll, they'll mess about with it and it'll, they'll let all the opposition defenders get back in position. So um, they need to be more clinical and Will Grigg, you could tell throughout the game, you know, even though he was at the opposite end of the pitch to us for the most of the time, you could tell he was sort of ready and raring to go off that last man, you know, ready to beat the trap, ready to sort of kind of move into a poaching position and be that fox in the box. But ultimately, Chesterfield, like I say, just fuck about with it a little bit too much to uh, to, to be able to get that to get that done. So, yeah, I, I think if they can get Will Grigg involved, and I think if they can play an attacking brand of football that suits him, um, I think they'll do it. The, the way the National League's shaping up this season, there's no Wrexham, there's no Notts County. Um, the teams that have come down look pretty piss poor. Um, and, and to be fair, I don't really know much of the teams that come up, but there is a massive gap from the North-South to the National League. So I think they'll they'll struggle to kind of make any sort of indent at the top as well. So it's Chesterfields to lose if they can sort that uh, that that sort of attacking, uh, attacking play out. Absolutely. Well, one of the teams that went up was uh, Kidderminster, who we saw in the playoffs against uh, Alfreton and battered the favourites, Kings Lynn. So maybe they could be a surprise team, but we'll get to that when we uh, make our predictions later in, well, in a few weeks' time. Um, but this time next week, we'll have obviously seen Town play a uh, championship Sheffield Wednesday. Kemp will have seen them play a Premier League Sheffield United and uh, me and Aggie will have seen them play League One at Derby. So by then, three games all against teams at least two divisions above. We should have a good idea of the, the kind of football they will be playing next season, and uh, we'll see if that affects Aggie's confidence, and I suppose mine as well, going into. But yeah, completely agree with all points made. It's time to start being direct, because they did it for the last few games of last season, and they were a completely different team. But uh, before we get stuck into the return of Kempe's Combat Corner, I do... But a bit, it's football, but it's not serious. I just want to get your thoughts on uh, on something. It's not been, it has been mentioned, but not been mentioned while we've been recording. But tonight, I am wearing a Southampton shirt. It is last season's third kit. I ordered it for charity. They were going for cheap. It was basically if you order one and make a donation to charity, you can have it. Thought it was black. It's come and it's dark green. I don't know if you can pick it up on the camera, but uh, I just want to get your thoughts. And Sam, I'll start with you, mate, um, and then we'll go from there. But uh, wearing shirts, wearing football shirts of different teams, I'll give you my opinion first, is for me, you know me, I've got a lot of football shirts. I've got more coming. I'm going to, like you being a hat guy, I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn myself into the, the football shirt guy. Aggie is the uh, is the headband guy. Kempy's got to find his gimmick, but we'll get there. Maybe he'll be the moustache guy come the end of August when uh, when he when he grows when he uh, shaves everything else and keeps it. So we're all getting our gimmicks together now. We're over fifty episodes. I'm going for the football shirt. So at some point, I am going to have to branch out. But for me, as long as they're not rivals, I think it's fair game personally. So Sam, where do you stand? Because you were absolutely against it when you saw I'd ordered a Southampton shirt. Yeah, my rule of thumb in the past has normally been no one 
no one in from England. Um, uh, yeah, and you can pretty much pick any, any side uh, abroad. I'm, I'm babbling on. Uh, so yeah, but but I get what you're saying. Um, I do like I do quite like the idea of. Uh, you have to do from football shit every week. I'm not sure you. I'm not sure you bank ballots is going to no, thank you for that. Say, but... I'll uh, I'll keep up with it as best I can. But we will see we'll see repeats. I'll tell you that. But there yeah. should be a decent gap between it. I've got I've got enough now. Yeah, I can appreciate that. If if that's the case, then I, I do quite like it. I think you you probably got to set yourself a golden rule of maybe no Premier League teams. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's not the end of the world. But I guess when I first seen it, I, I went too happy. I must admit. That's fair. Kent, you had a little shake of the head. Was that a, absolutely not pro, no Premier League teams or fair no, game? No go what you want. Not a chance. Not a fucking chance. A few years ago, I got a, a Man United top as a gift. Um, and I, I, yeah, now Sheffield United are in Premier League. Or, or, or while we've been sniffing around it, I wouldn't fucking touch it with a barge pole. Apart from Kim Pembe. Because I play like an absolute demon at centre back when I'm wearing Kim Pembe, so there's no doubt about that one. But yeah, I think um, it's a little bit dodgy. I think teams from different countries. I think you're all right. I've got a Dortmund shirt that I used to wear. It's probably a bit small for me now, but uh, you've got uh, a beautiful think, vintage Barcelona with Rivaldo ten on the back as well. Yeah, I have. I have got a beautiful vintage Rivaldo shirt. So I think as long as you're kind of picking. One team from each country. So I won't have a Real Madrid shirt now. I won't have a Bayern Munich shirt now. You know, if I'm going to get something, it'd be Dortmund or Barca, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I think it's a little bit dodgy. If it, if it's a non-league side or something like that, then fair enough, like Chesterfield, for example. But, yeah. I'm I've gonna... got one and I have got my... That's I'm, fine. I'm keeping, That's I'm fine. keeping no, a lookout for that Rex and Black kit that they've just released. Nah, fuck that, mate. I'll be fuming with that. Nah, <laughs> it's nah, Wales. You said not the same country. Nah, you, yeah, not, you did. Nah, you nah, did. Nah, 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 funny, nah. funny you say United that about... Kingdom. UK. UK. It's, nah, fuck <laughs> that. It's funny you say that about the uh, the one team one team pair country. Um, years ago, this is one of my mum's favourite stories. We, uh, we went on holiday to Spain. I want to say Mallorca. It went part of mainland Spain, I don't think... And um, the there was one particular waiter. I think it were um, an all inclusive sort of thing. And there was one particular waiter that were really good with kids. You know, I think you're part of kids club and all that bollocks. And every time you see me, made a bit of a fuss of me. I were only about probably six or seven at time. Uh, made a bit of a fuss of me, so I loved him. Um, until one day, I come downstairs and I think I had the Barcelona shirt on. One day, I had the Barcelona. And he went, "Hey, Barcelona, yeah, good choice, sort of thing." The day after, I made the mistake of going down in a Real Madrid top. <laughs> <laughs> he was fucking raging. He was absolutely. He went, "What are you doing?" I went, "What?" I'm, I'm like six, seven year old. I'm like, don't know what, what which way's up. I'm like, what? He went, Real Madrid. He goes, yesterday, what shirt did you wear? I says Barcelona. He went, you can't do that. You can't do that in Spain. You can't have Barcelona and Real Madrid. He says that's that's crazy. Like I don't think he spoke to me for us to holiday. <laughs> it's one of my kids. One of my mum's favourite stories. That. It would be, mate. She stitched you right up with that. She did. She would have got yeah. the shirts. Yeah, that's definitely it. Yeah, no, no pocket Dressed money. Right Real Madrid shirt that morning, did she? Nice smile, yeah. <laughs> 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 exactly what she were doing. Made a point of getting him to see you in Barcelona shirt as well. Yeah. Hey, so Pedro, you, you seen him? <laughs> <laughs> Aggie, I'll come to you for your opinion because the lads have spoke about domestic football, but what about international football? Because I'll be honest, there are going to be a couple of international shirts retro 
vintage, whatever you want to call it, that will be coming up in future episodes. And I have also had my eye on a couple as well. I'm talking Germany, World Cup 2014, winning team, Gertz 19 on the back. I'm talking Argentina 98, Batistuta 9 on the back. So oh, no, you... no, 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 no. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. You I know. cannot have Argentina, you scumbag. I, man. Argentina's <laughs> bad. Argentina's <laughs> bad. Is, but I've not, no, but I thought... Might I thought... as well fucking have Iraq. <laughs> So, uh, Aggie, <laughs> what are your thoughts, mate, with that extra context? Uh, no, mate, I'm completely against it. From club or international level, you support a team, you get their top, that's it. You, you don't worry about getting collecting different football shirts, whether it's international or your own local side. You support one team and that's it. And can, It bugs can me you that believe, you support a team from each division, to be fair. Can you believe that Aggie... And Kempi are aligned on a, on a footballing subject. Can you believe that? I never thought I'd see the day ever. No. The <laughs> dinosaur. Turn up the in Southampton shirt. We're traditional men, aren't we, Aggie? We're traditional. We men. are, mate. Yeah. They cut cut your red, white, and blue. Believe Union Jack. <laughs> right. I feel like I need to have like a new thing now. I feel like I can't show my camera until we start recording. I'll do my intro. I'll just show my name, and then I'll pop up. I'll pop up on camera to get your instant reactions of what I'm wearing. You could just do your head like that. You could just do your head. Yeah, floating head, just tips your shoulder. Hey, all right. Welcome to Loaded Smart, episode sixteen. Bosh, Argentina. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Nineteen eighty-six, even. And of God, you look like fucking Derek, man. Usually do, don't Or France, Francis Bourgeois with Ed camera-rated face. <laughs> really all right i enjoyed that i was i was just going to chuck it out there and see what happened but i uh i'm glad i did because yeah it was really good but like i said i'm going to become the football shirt guy a bit like ben foster on his podcast he's always got a bit of something he has, different he has. And, that, um, to be honest with you i think that's where i've subconsciously softened on it i've seen yeah. him do it and i think i've quite liked him doing that so i think yeah. i'm kind of on your wavelength with it i must admit I like it, mate. And after what Ken Panagi have said, mate, I appreciate having you on side. So uh, we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll, I'm sure I'll turn up in things that will be controversial. Um, and like last week with the new Madrid shirt, I'm sure I'll turn up in things that get a uh, a wholehearted backing. But anyway, that's football for this week, lads. Hopefully, a bit more transfer news to talk about next week. It's been a bit quiet on that front. And again, a couple more town preseason games to give us a bit more meat to get our teeth stuck into. But for the first time in a few weeks is time for the return of Kempy's Combat Corner. Kemp, talk us through the latest in both boxing and mixed martial arts. Yeah, what an absolute bumper weekend it was of mixed martial arts last weekend. UFC 290 coming out of uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, the T-Mobile Arena, the fight capital of the world up until um, Saudi Arabia, not Saudi Arabia, Abu Dhabi got involved on Fight Island, but but there you go, we move on. Um, yeah, some unbelievable fights, some fantastic returns, retirement, debuts, everything. This, this card had it all. Um, starting with, we, we talk about the return of Kempi's Combat Corner, and the retirement of Robbie Lawler, unbelievable, an absolute legend, uh, defeated Nico Price 38 seconds of the very first round um, and, 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 and won by KO in, in spectacular fashion. A lot of people, including Conor McGregor, have sort of said, uh, you know, the 41-year-old Robbie Lawler, he's going to get the taste for it after that knockout and he's going to want to not retire. I think a lot of people are expecting Nico Price to sort of say or be... Uh, Robbie Lawler into retirement, but unfortunately it didn't go to that script. And Robbie Lawler won by a by a, by a KO punches um, to uh, to to close off the prelims on ESPN Plus. Um, so Dawson, 
a, a sort of a, a very, very quick word on Robbie Lawler. I don't know if you've followed Robbie Lawler's career, you know much about him or know much of a, a legend um, that he if, is. But... I, if I remember right, he, he had the absolute <laughs> war a few years back with, yeah, with Rory McDonald. Uh, yeah, which was absolutely prob- probably from a, a neutral perspective, what you want from a fight. That was pretty much it. Like if you were to write it, that, yeah. that would be pretty much it. If you were to jump outcome. in the time capsule and, and and chuck back to caveman times or the Coliseum times, that's the yeah. sort of shit you'd see right there. And yeah. you know, the yeah. end of the fourth round and that that historic moment that will always, always be etched in UFC history, where at the end the buzzer for the end of the fourth round, they just stood staring at each other and would yeah. not fucking step back. Amazing. If that's not the, the definition UFC. of fucking warriors. Oh, unbelievable. Like, that's it. That's the picture in the dictionary next dr- to it. Had to be dragged back to their corners so that they could get worked on between rounds. And they've only got a minute between rounds as well. They spent 10 seconds of it staring at each other. Um, but yeah, unbelievable to see Robbie Lawler get that win and, and fair play to him. And fingers crossed, I hope he does stay retired because what a, what a better way to end your career by knocking somebody out after 38 seconds. So hopefully, fingers crossed, happy retirement to ruthless Robbie Lawler. We started the card with the middleweights, Bo Nickel versus Val Woodburn. Val was a late notice replacement. Um, for Bo Nickel. I've talked about Bo Nickel on the podcast before on Kempi's Combat Corner. This guy is the real deal. Um, he, he's a, an all-state, all-American um, NCAA wrestling champion out of American top team. He was in Division One for wrestling. He's a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, so he's not at the highest level in that respect, but an NCAA Division One wrestler, um, you're not going to get any higher than that in the sport. Um, so uh, a, a real contender and a real superstar coming out of the gate. And do you know what Bonicle does as well? He doesn't come out and wrestle fuck everybody as, as, as people would probably expect him to. He knocks people out. And he did the same thing after 38 seconds, the exact same time that Robbie Lawler knocked out Nico Price. Bonicle knocked out Val Woodburn with an unbelievable combination of punches and strikes. Um, and what can this guy not do? Israel Adesanya, you're going to have to watch out because in this middleweight division, in this 185-pound division, Bo Nickel is coming for everything. Um, next, we move to a catchweight fight, which was meant to be at lightweight, 155 pounds. Dan Hooker versus Jalen Turner. Dan, the hangman hooker on the past few years, um, has, has really, really struggled to kind of find his mojo and his momentum during covid um, he had a fight with Dustin Poirier a few years ago and it was really close, went to the wire. Um, and a lot of people on the back of that were thinking Dan Hooker's stock had really rose. Um, he then got beat by Michael Chandler by a knockout on Michael Chandler's debut to the organisation. Um, he then got beat by um, Islam Makhachev. Um, he did beat Nasrat Hakparast between that uh, by unanimous decision. Um, but then lost against Islam, lost against Arnold Allen, going down to featherweight, which I think was a wrong move for him. And I think he'll agree with that as well. Um, did come back with a win against Claudio Puelles. And I think everybody was expecting Jalen Turner to get the job done. Um, but that them's, them's, the, them's the breaks and them's the kicks, unfortunately. <laughs> Excuse me, unfortunately for Jalen Turner. Um, lost against Matthias Gamrot, who, who is an unbelievable contender and a, and a real, real force um, in the division. Uh, but, but I think a lot of people are expecting Jalen Turner to get the job done. I was listening to the Joe Rogan experience with Matt Sarah, Dean Thomas, and, and, uh, and they were talking about how, you know, it was bef- recorded before the fights and how they thought Jalen Turner was easily going to get the job done. Well, he didn't. Dan Hooker won by split decision. I think it should have been unanimous personally, but what a fight that was. What a scrap. And uh, yeah, um, real, really happy for the for the hangman that he uh, he got a, he got a victory and he got his arm raised at the end of the night. Um, and Ben Musgrove. Back to the middle... There you go. Back to the middleweight division. 
you're talking about Bo Nickel and Val Woodburn and, and Bo Nickel definitely is going to be a contender in a couple of years' time. He is only still, I think, 25, so he's got plenty of time left. Um, but we're talking now about kind of the upper echelons of that division and you can't talk about that without talking about Robert the Reaper Whitaker. Um, in the past 10 or 11 fights I think he's had, um, he's never lost unless it's been to a, a chap called Israel Adesanya. Um, until Saturday night. Drikas Duplessis defeating Robert Whitaker by TKO in the second round, two minutes and 23 seconds of the second round. I think a lot of people were thinking that Robert Whitaker would win this fight, but hoping that Duplessis would win this fight because it's a fresh matchup. We've not seen Duplessis against uh, Adesanya. There's a lot of underlying tension um, and, and, and probably an ugly build going into that fight, um, but that's what fight sports are all about. Um, but 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 it was a fantastic performance by Duplessis. Um, really showed his class and his quality in there, and 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 showed his presence and his his ability to 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 go toe to toe and and ultimately come out with a victory against somebody as as skilled and as as rounded as Robert Whitaker. So fair play to him. Like I say, TKO punches against the former UFC middleweight champion of the world, and that next fight is is is, is looking as though it's going to be Drikas Duplessis versus Israel Adesanya, which comes again with its own connotations. Drikas Duplessis, South African born. Born and raised, lived there since he was a kid. Israel Adesanya, I believe, born in Nigeria, emigrated to New Zealand, has been around, you know, fought in different countries. I think Drikas Duplessis and Adesanya arguing kind of whose African heritage is stronger. So that's going to be a very interesting fight and very interesting words exchanged after the fight on the weekend between Duplessis and Robert Whitaker. Um, the co-main event for the flyweight championship of the world the championship that, let's not forget, during COVID was very, very close to being ripped away from the UFC and, and defunct as, as a division. And, and my God, as it popped back into life now, £125 weight limit. So all of us boys on Loaded Sport, unfortunately, would never be able to fight in the flyweight division um, unless unless Adam chopped both his legs off. Um, but uh, Alexander <laughs> fucking Pad- arse penis. He has yeah, to go chop true. himself off the hips, not the legs. That's true. To be fair, if Adam chopped his penis off, he'd probably weigh about 115, but there you go. <laughs> um, but in the flyweight division, Alexandre Pantoja versus Brandon Moreno. Brandon Moreno, the champion of the division. Um, Can is, I just is, point out, sorry, Cam, I really apologise to interrupt, but I don't know why I actually stick it fingers up like we've not just paid him a massive fucking compliment. Yeah, imagine it. Yeah. Well, it's like, if he's got a right small penis. Mate, yeah, I've honestly yeah, just come back and he had Aggie and assumed it was negative, so... No, no, mate, we were just talking about, about penis, mate. Oh, right, no, carry on. How it's fucking massive. But anyway, carry on, Kemp. Sorry, mate. Thanks, mate. Yeah, cheers. Um, so we're talking about Alexandra Pantoja against the former now uh, UFC flyweight champion of the world, Brandon Moreno. Brandon Moreno with that four fights, counting four fights against Davidson Figueredo for the UFC flyweight championship of the world and a fight against Kaikara France, which he won handily as well by TKO. Um, but it was nice to see him have a fresh opponent. Like I say, he's only four... Davidson Figueiredo or Kaikara France since 2020. So he's been sort of tied up in it a little bit in that respect. Um, but uh, yeah, Pantoja against Brandon Moreno. They have fought twice before, one on the Ultimate Fighter, I believe it was, and one in the UFC as well, with Pantoja coming out on top both times. And that was a repeat performance today or, or, or on Saturday um, as well. A split decision, which I think was a little bit ridiculous. I think Pantoja quite easily won that fight. I would probably put it down as maybe four rounds to one, if not three to two. But I would have it as a unanimous decision for Pantoja. And I think he was just out outclassing him in terms of the grappling. I think the striking was pretty much matching even 50-50. Um, but, you know, in the UFC and mixed martial arts, when the striking's 50-50... 
that's when you take it to the ground. That's when you see what you've got in that respect as well. And Pantoja just had too much for him. Um, he couldn't hold down Brandon Moreno for very long, but he took him down numerous times. And that was enough for the judges to score Pantoja the win and ultimately um, the flyweight championship of the world. Before, uh, and by the way, before I, I move on to the, to the main event, what an unbelievable fight that was. And if anybody's looking at the 125 pound division and thinking it's not exciting enough, they're not big enough, they've not got enough power, I implore you to go and watch that fight because it was probably one of the best fights I've, I've, I've seen in a long time. We then moved to the featherweight main event. I'll be honest with you, lads, it was about half past five, six o'clock in the morning. So my eyes were dozing a little bit during the main event and 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 the, the co-main event kind of um, peaked me a little bit as well because it was so exciting. Uh, but the main event, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Yair Rodriguez, um, a lot of people expected it to be a bit one-way traffic and 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 that's pretty much what it was. Um, Yair Rodriguez did get some good strikes in there. He is, he is a very, very tricky striker and um, does mix up his attacks really, really well. But ultimately, he just wasn't quite enough. Um, and Alexander Volkanovsky outpaced him, didn't go anywhere. He was right in his face, pressure fighter. We know that about Alexander Volkanovsky, and we know that that's, that's, that's one of his biggest attributes. Um, and, and it took its toll. Four minutes and 19 seconds of the third round. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky got it done. Um, a, a litany of punches, a fantastic combination. Volk with his fantastic conditioning, it came through again. Um, Yaya Rodriguez looked like he was slowing down just a little bit and that was enough for uh, for Alexander Volkanovsky to get that takedown um, and finish Yaya Rodriguez on the floor. So a fantastic weekend and a fantastic night of fights. Uh, UFC 290 is in the books and it was a really, really good event um, and it set up some fantastic and fascinating fights going forward um, across all of the divisions that were showcased on the night. So the next one, July 29th, uh, Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje 2 for the BMF title. And that is just going to be the biggest donkey fest you've seen in your life. I cannot wait for it. And I'm looking forward to covering it on Kempis Combat Corner. Um, one thing I'm going to cover on Kempis Combat Corner on this edition, though, before we do move on to the next stage of the uh, of the show, um, is the heavyweight division in boxing. Now, Dawson... I've been Absolutely. trying to avoid speaking about the heavyweights like the fucking plague in the past few weeks. And the reason for that is because we were supposed to have Fury Usyk didn't happen. Fury Joshua didn't happen. Joshua against fucking uh, Wilder. And apparently that's happening. And, and these fights weren't being made. Usyk wasn't fighting. Fury wasn't fighting. Joshua wasn't fighting. We now look at Kempi on the, on the downside, on the backside from Spain, and they've all got fights. What's going on? <laughs> Well, I suppose we can bring in Sam for this one because if there's any boxing he likes, it is the heavyweight division. And yeah, it seems to have been a bit of a productive week when it comes to getting fights on the board. So AJ, Fury, Usyk all now have announced fights over the next couple of months or so. So uh, Sam, being the heavyweight boxing fan that you are, you usually partake when a heavyweight boxing fight's on. You, you stick it on on a Saturday evening. What are your thoughts on the, the three sort of main fighters finally uh, having a fight announced? Meh. It's not uh, not exactly what we signed up for, I guess. AJ, no, I tell you, I um, think uh, AJ White, I think that's a, that's a decent little scrap myself. Um, obviously, will it be will it be the, the second time they've fought? Kemp, obviously, second time they've fought, but they fought the first time was in um, way back with when there was amateur weight in there. Am I right? In, in no, there? So, yeah, so it's the th if you count in the amateur fight, it's the third fight. So yeah. um, in the amateurs, they had a fight. Dillian White won that fight. 
In 2015, they had a fight in the pros and AJ famously knocked out Dillian White with that crazy uppercut and flatlined him. But that was the first real fight in AJ's career where he actually got tested, um, which was interesting. So this will be, in effect, over the amateurs and the pros, it will be the third fight. What's your thought about what's your thoughts about the um, the Fury fight? Uh, yeah, so well, I'll I'll talk about sort of all three fights. So the three fights that were announced, as you say, there, Sam, is uh, AJ versus uh, Dillian White two because obviously it's the second pro fight. Um, Usyk versus Daniel Dubois. Um, that's also taking place soon as well for the um, WBA, WBO and IBF titles, I believe. Um, and obviously, as you just mentioned there, Sam, Tyson Fury versus the um, former UFC undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, Francis Ngannou. Um, it's a cash grab. It's a cash grab. It's as simple as that. Um, Jake Paul fighting MMA fighters. All right, whatever. It's a, it's a, it's a freak show. Conor McGregor fighting Floyd Mayweather when Floyd was 40 years of age, his last professional boxing match. Mm, okay, it's the money fight. It's a you know it's it's intriguing. It's interesting. Um, as an MMA fan and as a boxing fan, it's interesting in the same way that a car crash is interesting. You want to <laughs> look at it because you can't not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, it's it's not going to be compelling. It's not going to be competitive. Tyson Fury is going to play with his food and he's probably going to knock Ngannou out or do some really serious damage to him. Um, pretty is there early. any way Ngannou can win that? No, absolutely no chance. There's no chance. There's 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 a there's I'd say one in a thousand that that Francis Ngannou wins that fight. Right, because I'm obviously. Um... UFC got no knowledge of whatsoever. Um, was am I right in thinking at one point he was supposed to be known as like the hardest man on the planet? Yeah. So well, so yeah. I mean, for me and to a lot of combat sports fans, in the nineties they used to call Mike Tyson the baddest man on the planet, right? Because he probably was. To be fair, you know, he probably was. But nowadays with the UFC and MMA. I think the way you look at it, the baddest man on the planet in terms of the baddest unarmed man on the planet. So he's got his two fists and he's got his legs and he's got his body. Who is the baddest man on the planet? And you have to say that the UFC heavyweight champion of the world is the baddest man on the planet. He's the biggest, he's the strongest. And also if he got in a fight with a boxing heavyweight champion, and if it was, let's say, for example, street rules, he'd kick his legs, he'd take him down, he'd choke him unconscious in 30 seconds. So <clears throat> that's why they call the UFC, you know, heavyweight champion of the world, the baddest man on the planet. Um, the, the the way that Frank Warren is trying to sell this fight of Queensbury and Tyson Fury's promoter is he's trying to say Francis Ngannou was recorded having the hardest punch ever. And that is true-ish. That's true-ish. But also on the backside of that, and I don't even know if Frank Warren even knows this because how deep is his mixed martial arts knowledge. But in Francis Ngannou's last fight in the UFC, he fought a guy called Cyril Garn, who is a kickboxer from France. And Francis Ngannou throughout that entire training camp focused on nothing but wrestling because he knew that, that Cyril Garn would outstrike him. So while Francis Ngannou has got unbelievable power, you know, there's no doubt about it. I've seen Francis Ngannou put Alistair Overeem, um, Cain Velasquez. I've seen him go through everybody. Jorginho Rosenstrike and uh, Stipe Miocic and, and send them to the shadow realm. But against Tyson Fury in a boxing match, it's it's literally 
less than a puncher's chance. So it's not compelling, in my opinion. But I'm happy for Francis Ngannou because he left the UFC. He left the UFC to get a big pile of money because the UFC weren't paying him enough, in his opinion. And you know what? He's fucking got that with this fight. So fair play to Francis. But in terms of Tyson Fury, I think it's a bit of embarrassment where you've got Usyk fighting Daniel Dubois, who's a top contender. You've got AJ fighting Dillian White, who's a real scrappy... You know, he's, he's fought at world-level boxing for a few years. And then Tyson Fury's fighting uh, Francis Ngannou, who's never had a professional boxing match in his life. Sounds to me like, from what you're saying there, that that Frank Warren's just purely backing on uh, Ngannou's power. Um, so f- to that end, surely this is just going to go down the same way as Fury, Deontay Wilder, where he no. just a- absolutely outboxes him. No, yes, but it'll be worse. It'll be worse because... Deontay Wilder, while he was a late starter in boxing, I didn't think I don't think he started boxing until his mid twenties. Deontay Wilder, um, Deontay Wilder had that that touch of death. You know, he he, he when he hits you, you go. Uh, and Francis Ngannou, I would say, has got similar levels of power, but the difference is is that for years and years and years, Francis Ngannou's been um, deploying that power in a mixed martial arts setting, whereas Deontay Wilder for years and years, for 10 years before he fought Fiore, was deploying that power in a boxing setting. So there's, there's differences in range, there's differences in, in, in the distance between you and your opponent, there's differences in defensive techniques. And while Francis Ngannou probably has got the same level of punching power, if you did him and Wilder on a punching machine, they'd probably get similar results. In terms of his movement, his spatial awareness, he's just not got that because for years and years and years, he's been fighting in mixed martial arts contests and now he's fighting in a boxing match. And it's like me, you know, playing rugby for 10 years and then expecting to, you know, be a starter in the NFL. It's a completely different game. Fair enough. And to that point as well, Sam, the uh, the thing we went to years ago in Leicester, which was like a sort of NFL panel, Martin Johnson, yeah. former England Rugby Union captain was there. Um, and he played a bit of American football after his rugby career, and he said that it was the toughest thing that he's ever done. So, uh, yeah, just to sort of back up that comparison there of being used to one thing so much, even though you then move to something that on paper might seem similar, it's it's such a massive transition. So, yeah, fair point. But, uh, Ken, I'm sure over the few weeks and months, if we get closer to those fights, more will come out. And let's be honest, based on all our thoughts on the heavyweight division right now, are you 100% confident that all three of those fights will go ahead as planned? I'm sure there's going to be some kind of drama along the way. Yeah, no, I think they will. Um, Usyk and Dubois, to start with, are, are really sort of steady fighters. They, they don't tend to be pull-out merchants, especially yeah, Alexander Usyk. I think Usyk. that's the most likely, to be fair. Yeah, I think Alexander Usyk is, is probably the most fighting of men in the heavyweight division, to be honest with you. He's probably the most game um, and the one that will literally fight anybody. Um, so I think that one's pretty safe. And I think Alexander Usyk is going to pretty much dominate and embarrass Daniel Dubois. Um, dance around him for a few rounds and then probably finish him in devastating fashion similarly to how he did that to Tony Bellew in the cruiserweights to unify that division um, so I think that's the one that's most likely to happen Fiori versus Ngano I think will happen because there's no jeopardy for Fiori and I think there's no you know Fiori's going to get a big pile of money for not doing that much so I think that one's going to be absolutely fine the one that worries me the most probably is AJ versus White but I think AJ understands that he needs to box Dillian White before he fights Deontay Wilder. He needs that fight. So I, th- I don't think I can see AJ pulling out. And to be fair to Tina's point, who's our friend, a big AJ fan, AJ is really, really consistent when it comes to not pulling out fights. Um, Dillian White, 
is a little bit of a concern because he's a bit of a donkey. He's a lovable donkey, but he's a bit of a donkey. And he's one of them where, similarly to Derek Chisora, you know, he could one day, he could just randomly throw his toys out the pram and get an idea that he don't want to fight. So that would probably be the one that I am least um, confident in happening. But I'm still pretty confident on it happening. Uh, and I think we will see all three fights. And uh, and I think they'll all, well, two of them at least, will be will be very compelling. And the third one will probably be a little bit embarrassing. But do you know what, Francis Ngannou? Go and get your money, sir. You fucking deserve it. And I do think that... that to be fair, will still be a spectacle in terms of intrigue and, and interest as well. Um, but next week, big episode, a preview and prediction from your camp uh, in next week's show, episode 58, because it is one of the uh, the biggest fights of the year when it comes to boxing purists, and that's Errol Spence versus Terence Crawford. So I'm sure there'll be people that'll be looking forward to your thoughts May, next week and May, your prediction that will go with May, that. July 29th, not only is it two is weeks away. Crawford versus Errol Spence. It is UFC 291 on the same fucking night, mate. Well, the I, I apologise then. Not next week, in two weeks' time. Um, so, um, yeah, two weeks will be a bumper edition of Kempe's Combat Corner. And then that uh, is, episode 60 after say, that, talking about absolutely, it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And can I just say that that, UFC 291 and Terence Crawford versus Errol Spence on the same night is the best night in combat sports that I can remember. That is an unbelievable night. I can't wait. Huge claim. Can't wait to hear your preview and then and predict your thoughts in uh, in two weeks' time on episode 59. But that is it to, for Kempis Combat Corner for another week. Aggie, I'm going to come to you now to talk us through what happened in Silverstone and also the announced and official return of everyone's favourite in Formula One, Daniel Ricciardo. Talk us through it. Mate, finally, we've seen some competition back on a Formula One grid. And for a little bit of time, it was even a fight for first place. I said last week in the little preview towards Silverstone that we're going to be uh, looking at a very new McLaren car that Lando and Piastri could both drive, and it just so happened to be the case when they uh, qualified in second and third place. At the first corner, Lando took past Max Verstappen, who got pole position to take first place away from him. Piastri was very close to taking second, but in the end, Verstappen went back to his normal Verstappen ways, got past uh, Lando back into first place, and the rest is pretty much just history, isn't it? Max went on and won it. Um, Piastri coming in for the pits, I think we dare say cost him the chance of getting onto the podium. I, I think that's a fair assessment. I think assessment. that was tough timing, weren't it, with the safety car as well on the incident. I, 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 I don't think there's huge amounts of blame on, on him or the team. Oh, absolutely it, not. It was just a bit of, there was quite unlucky on his part, I think. Yeah, I think they're just a bit unfair that, unlucky like you say that when he came into pit shortly after the safety car came out which meant then the top three could all pit and he only managed to get back up to fourth place I think if that race was maybe two laps longer maybe even a lap longer actually I think Piastri was finishing in third place because Lewis Hamilton had come back out on used soft tyres that were running its cause and he said he'd got no grip on the back and in the case of about three corners Piastri had cut about two seconds off Lewis Hamilton's time so I think Piastri could maybe have stolen third place off of uh, Hamilton there and took a McLaren 2-3. But considering where we've been for the last couple of years, the fact that we managed to get back ourselves up to second and fourth place, I think as a McLaren fan, you've got to be quite chuffed with that. Um, yeah, definitely. The race. What, what do you think? Because they've had... they 
you know, they were they were brilliant when sort of Lewis Hamilton was there. He left the Mercedes and there was a noticeable and a big drop off. The last couple of seasons or so, especially with the introduction of Lando Norris, they have started to become like you always, you know, the best of the rest and been in that kind of that kind of battle. They haven't started the season great. They they were really poor for the first few races. They've made changes which seem to race one been have been phenomenal. I mean, what a result. That's one of the best results they've had in years, other than the you know, both drivers on the podium. Um so is this a case of it's there to stay now? Is it a one off? Will other teams catch up and they'll end up falling down the pack as a McLaren fan with that one race of such a positive race off of the upgrades? What do you think that this means for say the next two and three races short term, but also for what they can do for the rest of the season? with the teams obviously outside of Red Bull. I think this is a huge step in the right direction. We mentioned that last, or you said then that last season, Ricardo and Norris got a one, two and yeah, they did. And that was just a one-off that was a bit lucky by a couple of strategy errors from other drivers. The fact that at the moment, the cars now begin to show a little bit more consistency in Silverstone, Lando and Piastri performed well in um, Austria the week before Lando performed well. So these upgrades are showing that it's not a, a short term thing. It's genuinely a, a, a change that they've made for the better. That's going to be a bit more of a consistent high finish for McLaren. And maybe we aren't going to compete with Verstappen because we can already tell that he's in a league of his own at the moment. And it's going to take either an error from him or some strategy error from Red Bull that's going to cost him a race. But I think at the moment, We've got to look at maybe now even battling towards, you know, your Mercedes, your Aston Martin and even Ferrari because Ferrari don't seem to be at the races at the moment, so to speak. And why not? Why not? If the car's there now to make Lando and Piastri competitive, I think I mentioned it in the group chat that my only concern would be at some point, would Red Bull consider dropping Checo and and looking towards Lando? I mean, we dropped Ricardo because he wasn't quite as competitive with Lando last season. Lando was performing well in the McLaren before the McLaren got even better. Hopefully, if we can make it very competitive, it might tempt him to stay for a little bit longer. But if Red Bull decide to move on from Perez, what's stopping them from looking at somebody like Lando Norris, who's still quite young and and proving what he can do in a car that's not, you know, a front runner. So hopefully that's not going to be the case. Um, But yeah, the other news that you mentioned, which I will mention now, is, of course, that Daniel Ricciardo is back on a Formula One grid. He's, uh, of course, one of the most charismatic drivers I've ever seen in a Formula One grid. And he's one of the best people to watch on Drive to Survive as well. Um, I think... The, the grid, the um, the sport is so much better from having him on track as opposed to as a reserve or a test driver. Um, I was pretty surprised that, dry, uh, that teams hadn't gone for him before the season had even started, considering what he'd managed to do with Red Bull, with Renault, and of course, what he'd managed to do with the McLaren. Even though he weren't beating his teammate, he was still doing quite good things. Um, but yeah, AlphaTauri, of course, the sister team of Red Bull, if you will, um, maybe where a couple of drivers like uh, Alex Albon, Pierre Gasly in the past have kind of plied the trade and then moved on to a Red Bull seat. Is it a chance for us maybe in a couple of years' time if Ricardo can keep this seat warm, move on to see the second coming of Max and, and Ricardo as a team? Who knows, AlphaTauri, as, uh, as you mentioned, are the feeder team and we've seen drivers like Gasly and, and others make that move up. So um, It'd be a story, and I'll tell you what, it'd make for great coverage to see all the back behind-the-scenes stuff on the, on Drive to Survive. But, yeah, I completely agree. He's, he's my favourite driver in terms of currently in the sport. Really, really happy to see him back on the grid. As I keep saying, and I've been saying for weeks, even before this was announced, the sport is better for having him on the grid. So, uh, 
yeah, really happy to see him back. But um, Sam, you you caught a little bit. I know we spoke last week, and I suppose I'll, I'll come to Kemp as well because I, I did say at the time of asking that it was a question I was going to ask when you were both um, in on the, the the episode or an episode at the time. But uh, we spoke about what could potentially change in Formula One to make you a fan, and you're you're someone that's never really mentioned any kind of fandom, but. You were commenting on Sunday about Lando and you know Max winning again and that kind of stuff. So you are sort of catching little bits here and now, obviously with your current living situation. That's that's the main reason why. But as Silverstone, as what happened, change your opinion a little bit. Do you think there is a, a spark there that could potentially be lit, or is it just mm. a case you're watching it because it's there and you'll forget about it once the you know, when that time comes? Yeah, I think there's an element of that. I think you're watching it because it's Sunday afternoon and it's easy watching. Just I had it on just in the background, kept an eye on it. Uh, my biggest takeaway from the whole event, from whole of Silverstone, um, I watched it right at the start of it. I watched the, um, not the guy on the thing. you know, That's the one. Yeah, I watched yeah, him. There, Didn't watch any of the race, bar anything after the, I watched it up until the, uh, sorry, I watched everything after the safety car. Um, and the one biggest takeaway I have from it was what the fuck was that national anthem? <laughs> <laughs> what on earth? Yeah. What on earth was Damien Lewis thinking? By any time you hear, oh, I'm going to put a jazzy spin on it, you just you know it's not going to work, do you? So yeah. who's to blame though? Him or whoever put him? Whoever gave him the gig? Like yes, uh, is the answer to that question? Yes, is the answer to that question? <laughs> Everybody is to blame for that performance. <laughs> Okay. Shocking, but no, no. To be fair, I, I did, I did. I would say I, I didn't not enjoy it. it. It were all right. It was just nice to have on it background, just keeping an eye on it. it like you say, there was something you've you've spoken about. You know, Tebo blue teeth. Just it would be nice to to not know it was going to be a clear cut winner going into it every single week, and that's like a, a bit of a bigger, too big a pill to swallow for me. I think to really enjoy it at the minute makes yeah. you feel better, and, and mate. Just... I managed to predict second and third as well. It doesn't it actually, mate. I couldn't get full. Well, it makes it a bit better, doesn't it? <laughs> Let me I'm have this moment now. Now I'm only joking. No, it's it's just it is what it is, isn't it? But no, I um yeah, Lando, big fan of him, big fan of him. Yeah, absolutely, and it is one that I've got my eye on for if uh, if and when Red Bull move on from Perez, they they make a push for him, but. It, it was nice to see, and, no, and even no, the Red I've Bull... seen you say that, right? I, I was trying to just ask you about that, right? So the the very reason, obviously, the, the worst thing about F one at the minute is Verstappen's domination or Red Bull's domination. Surely Lando going to Red Bull is just monopolizing the entire fucking sport. Why would you, Aggie? You, you, you answer that from an outside perspective, seeing you know someone like a Lewis Hamilton moving up to a Mercedes and, and seeing the domination he had. I don't know what you mean by like monopolising the sport. If Verstappen's already winning everything and Red Bull's already winning anything, I, I think all they're trying to do is just you know strengthen a little bit because if you've got a driver that's finishing first and your other driver's finishing outside the top 10 on a bit more of a regular basis, from a constructor's perspective, you're losing out on points there and you need somebody that's going to be able to keep your, your number one driver on his toes. Otherwise, there might be a little bit of boredom and Verstappen might retire sooner and it's going to cost the team a little bit. It's happened like with Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg. I think Lewis won it for a few years, then Nico stepped in and, and he won the championship and it kind of kept Lewis on his toes a bit. You want a driver that's going to be competitive alongside your number one just to add a bit more excitement within the team, I think, really competitiveness within the team. And I don't think Checo's doing that at the moment. I think it's just one driver performing out of his skin and every single week it's just Max. I think if to get somebody like Lando, then yeah, it might be monopolising it, but if they've got the money to do so and Lando's happy to go there, 
not really much we can do about it. It just seems like it's... <laughs> Every time I hear that name, that's what pops into my head. Uh, <laughs> it just seems like it's the, the, the Man City of uh, Man City F1, aren't they? They've got all these charges hanging over their head. They're not really penalised for it. They just crack on with it. Uh, and then now the league... Well, he's getting talked about Lando moving over to... I don't know whether that's official or that's just Dawson hoping, but... Um, uh, just so to that's, me, that's me hoping, like, because I think he deserves that chance at, you know, sort of one of the bigger teams to really show. You know, look at George Russell. He was at Williams for a couple of years who were, in, well, not still are technically at the minute, but were the worst car in the grid. But based on his driving ability in that car, he was given the opportunity to show what he's really about. And unfortunately, the Mercedes car hasn't sort of helped him show that fully as of yet. Um, so yeah, it'd just be it'd be nice to him given that opportunity in, in a really in a top tier car. But even as a Red Bull fan, uh, go on. Sorry, I was going to say even as a Red Bull fan and a Max fan, even I got a bit excited when Lando overtook Max going into that first corner and, and went ahead and was uh, in the lead for a bit. Because yeah, it was good to see it's motor racing. You want to see racing, and that includes overtaking and and a challenge for the top as much as a challenge for the as it has been so far this season, second and third spot on the podium. But, um, Kemp, I'll, I'll close off F1 with just a question to you. As I mentioned, I asked Sam a question last week, and it was a question I was going to save for both of you. But you have, just unlike Sam, in the past, mentioned little bits here and there about F1. You've made sort of comments along the lines of when it's not just Max winning or it's not just Lewis winning, let you know. So, let you know. So that, to me, gives me the impression that you're open to watching it, but not, while it's not competitive. So for you, is there something that Formula One can change or that they need to do to make you be someone that is a fan of, of watching the sport? Yeah, and if you did get Lando Calrissian driving for the best team, then it'd be making the castle run in less than 12 parsecs, so that wouldn't be competitive. Nice. All, but yeah. Um, and Sam is wearing a Star Wars T-shirt tonight. There you go. That was purely Mosh. for Sam, that was. That was purely for Sam. Um, but but yeah, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Motor racing itself, <clears throat> it, it's very, very compelling. I think it's one of the most compelling things to watch that you, you can possibly watch. Uh, Top Gear did an episode a few years ago where they did ra- ra- rally cross and they all start, you know, they were racing on, on dirt track and then it was on the on the circuit and it was really, really compelling to watch. Um, I've even seen some NASCAR and some IndyCar and stuff like that. And, and even Formula E, I've seen bits of that and that's really, really entertaining. Um, the one thing that will always in, stop me watching Formula One is the fact that they all don't drive the same car. It's, in my opinion, absolutely fucking ridiculous. I understand that the technicians and all this bollocks about, you know, we've got the best car this year and it's Constructors' Championship and all that. For me, while ever that's a thing and that will always be a thing, I will never be interested in Formula One because it's not about who the best driver is. It's about who's who's got the, the boffiest engineers. So for me, Formula One's probably the least interesting sport. I'd probably rather watch Wimbledon. And that's saying something about my my thoughts on feelings on tennis than than watching Formula One. But at least they use this, at least they use similar rackets and the same balls and they've got the same sort of advantage rather than in F1 where you're using different kits. So uh, Vantage, yeah. unbelievable. Advantage. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, another one for the tally for Sam's unbelievable tracker. But uh, yeah, break this upcoming weekend. Um, Hungary next weekend, Aggie. Have I got that right in Budapest? Yep. So uh, Aggie's we'll always be... hungry. 
Yes, he is. He's been to Budapest purely because he thought there were free food everywhere. He was uh, he was sorely <laughs> mistaken when he turned up. But uh, well, episode fifty eight next week we will preview Hungary, and it'll be interesting to see based on the news that comes out between now and then if McLaren are set for another big weekend or if it was just a flash in the pan. But we will see. Um, we'll very quickly cover the cricket, the third test of the Ashes series. England finally got off the board and reduced the deficit, and now. Uh, only are behind two tests to one. Uh, ben Stokes in the first innings yet again, captain fantastic, putting the team on his back after a shocking start and overall a shocking innings to be fair without him. Um, and then in the second innings, England chasing around 250 to win. Just looking at some of the scores here, Harry Brook was the was the hero in that. Uh, England looked like they were somehow going to throw away a relatively low target. But a 50-plus partnership between Harry Brook and Chris Wokes got them over the line before Harry Brook went out. And then Mark Wood came in and played like he had a table reservation at a restaurant in a couple of hours' time. He just started smashing the ball everywhere to get them over the line. And England won by three wickets to, again, make the overall Ashes series score 2-1 to Australia with two to play. They line up next. It will be next week, so no preview uh, as of yet at Old Trafford. Tina will be turning up. He's there for day five, so if uh, if the, the series so far um, is any indication, he is in for an absolute treat. But, Kemp, I'll come to you very quickly because you, from what I've seen, correct me if I'm wrong, please, watched quite a bit of this series considering that you've made your thoughts known about Test Cricket. You're not the biggest fan. We've spoke about it already on an earlier episode, but again, with England now 2-1, with the close finishes in, in Australia's two wins, what for you as someone that hasn't been the biggest Test fan in the past, what is this series doing for you as uh, in terms of turning you into a Change, Test cricket changing fan? Changing my mind completely, changing my perspective completely. I think Test cricket now is, is probably the most compelling version of cricket that I've, I've watched. Um, it's it takes it's a bit about of damn time. Yeah, it takes a bit of patience, and it takes you know you need to be you need to be all right about it. But you know, I think I kind of saw it in the past as you know, uh, IPL brilliant, you know, Big Bash brilliant. They just knock it out of the park. It's fantastic, but the stakes are just so much higher in Test cricket, and that's what that's what we watch sport for at the end of the day, isn't it? So, Wokesy and Wood. I mean, I did not expect those two to be the boys to to win the uh, the, the Test for us, but do you know what they did? They came in clutch. Um, Mark Wood had a strike rate of 200. He got he 16 runs off of eight balls, one four and Just one came six. Just came swinging like he was playing in Major League Baseball. I could not believe my eyes when I saw that. I couldn't believe my eyes. I thought it was... Night, night watchman, get the runs, you know, be conservative, one here, one there. And, and, and that is it. They line. had a full day to go as well. So I expected it. I expected it. But you know what? He got his cock out and he said, fuck it, I'm having it. And you know what? Like you said, Send I think it. he did have a table reservation because he weren't hanging around there, were he? And to be fair, yeah. it was in Leeds and uh, we all hate Leeds, don't we? So I can't, I can see why. But uh, yeah, an unbelievable performance from those two boys. A very, very unlikely duo. Uh, as unlikely as me and Adam having the same football opinion earlier on in the show. Uh, but do you know what? Good things come from unlikely duos sometimes. So, uh, yeah, delighted with it. And it, uh, it, it heats things up for the fourth test. So very, very much looking forward to that. Absolutely. And the, and the only sort of theory or reason I can give for Mark Wood just going out there and smashing it all over the place when he when he had all the time in the world was the adrenaline was still probably pumping after that 95 mile an hour uh, ball that he uh, bowled earlier in the test to... Uh, to, to get that wicket. So yeah, 94.8 miles per hour. What a ball, what speed. 
Um, you know, that is really top tier. So, yeah, the adrenaline must have still been pumping after that. Who just went out and thought, fuck it, I'll send it. But, uh, Ken, very quickly, we'll not cover it too much because we'll st- get stuck into it next week more. But um, this weekend, uh, started today, uh, recording on Thursday, the Scottish Open with the golf leading up, the precursor, the warm-up for next week's uh, Open in Liverpool. I know at the time we're recording, we will be in round one, but we will talk about it in more depth. But have you got a, a bit of an early prediction or is it a case of see what happens this weekend and then get stuck into it properly next week? Yeah, traditionally, this, this weekend is, is sort of the warm-up. It gets everybody getting used to the the, 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 the surface, getting everybody used to the weather and, and getting everybody used to what they're going to be playing in the Open next next week at, at Royal Liverpool. So, yeah, um, I don't think there'll be that much of a prediction coming from me this week. Let's see how the lads, let's see how the boys get on this weekend. Um, and then I'm sure we'll be making some uh, some first cut and some some overall predictions next week. But the Open, for me, it's my favourite um, major um, I, I think the Open is the most prestigious tournament in golf. A lot of people think the Masters, a lot of people think the US Open, a lot of people think the Ryder Cup. But in terms of an individual performance and an individual tournament, I think the Open is, is as higher honour as you can possibly get. So we're really looking forward to Royal Liverpool next week. And fingers crossed McElroy can put a good showing in this weekend so that hopefully next week it can, uh, it can make a... Maybe maybe break his duck, so we'll we'll see on that one. I'm looking forward to it. But one thing I didn't anticipate and didn't appreciate before I played golf abroad, which I did very recently, as we discussed at the start of the show, is that the surface and the soil and the conditions are very, very, very different. So the lads that are used to playing in hot weathers, maybe in Florida or in Spain or in you know southern Europe, where it's a little bit nicer weather than it is here or at Royal Liverpool, um, they'll be getting used to everything and they'll be uh, getting to grips with the course. So home field, home field advantage for a few uh, for a few local lads, Fitzpatrick and Rory, to name a couple. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll get stuck into that next week. Dawson, have you got any early front runners perhaps for the Open on the between the 20th and the 20th and the 23rd of July? Um, not necessarily. I think the best thing about this is the fact that it is over here. So nice and early. If you want to get your feet up next weekend and watch, you don't have to wait till middle of the afternoon for it to start and watch it late in tonight. But Rory McIlroy has started the Scottish Open six under. He's tied third. So maybe, again, a precursor to what he fancies doing next week. Um, but I'll uh, I'll have a good read. I'll do a bit of research, as I always do, sort of Tuesday, Wednesday. And then I'll pop a couple of predictions in the Discord, as well as discussing them on the episode. But I'll put them in the Discord beforehand so no one can say, well, yeah. you're only saying that because I've had a good first round. If he holds on to it, if he holds on to his lead at the Scottish Open, and it, well, not lead, but holds on to his good score because he's six under and the leader, I think, is, is nine under at the moment. So if he does hold on to his score and, and ends up winning the Scottish Open, then I will be confident. But Rory McIlroy, as we've said in the last uh, last few years, he started really well, made the cut really comfortably and then unfortunately fallen away at the end. So like you say, fingers crossed he can get some momentum from the Scottish Open this weekend. Absolutely. But lads, it's time to close on the darts, it is the return of the match play tournament, considered one of the three trophies that go into the Triple Crown. It's one of the biggest events on the darting calendar. Sam, you asked me to put together, you know, we've discussed it enough now that you became a darts fan in the World Championship. In the final, you've you watched the Premier League, you've enjoyed it, you watched the World Cup, you enjoyed it, and you now consider yourself to be a darts fan. But this is your first experience of the match play you asked me to come prepared with a few stats to sort of break I down did. and lay out the tournament for you. So starts on Saturday and it will run for eight days with the final next Sunday. So we can sort of do a, a mid-tournament review next week and no doubt I can change my prediction uh, nice. at that point. 
Um, there are 32 players. It is a leg format. So the first round is first to 10 legs. The round of 16 is first to 11 legs. Quarterfinals are first to 16. Semis, first to 17. And the final, first to 18 legs. So obviously it gets a little bit of a, a longer drawn out game uh, as we go later into the tournament. The winner gets 200k. And when you look at the opening round matches, with it only being 32 players, it's the top 32 players. It makes out for a real star-studded and uh, prestigious tournament and is one that is considered by many Darts fans as a personal favourite. So uh, what I've asked for you, lads, it is, it is uh, leg play, Blackpool. It always brings a great crowd as well. Some of my favourite darting memories are from that tournament. Probably my biggest one is when Freddie Flintoff got uh, invited into the uh, commentary booth and witnessed a nine darter. I think, Sam, you've seen it before. I sent it, link before, yeah. and it's, uh, it's absolutely brilliant. But that was from the match play many, many years ago. But what I did ask is if, for you all, as always, to bring your winner, your predicted winner, but also a dark horse. Doesn't necessarily have to be someone outside of sort of the main ones that you expect to win, but someone that could really, you know, go really far, maybe get to the semis, maybe get to the final, and maybe be a surprising winner because the usual names, your Van Gerwens, your Smiths, your Price, they can't win every single tournament. I've no doubt that at least one of you has picked at least one of those names, and maybe I have as well, but you never know who can win it. It's such a star studded. Um, tournament. It's not like the World Championship where the top players get one or two games to ease themselves in. You're playing a top player right from the very start. So, uh, Ken, who, it, we'll go around the room. We'll start with winners. Or should we start yeah. with dark horses? What do you want to do? Do you Either want to go or. outside bet? Dark and then horse. Put go you... dark horse first. Yeah. Dark horse so first? We'll, okay. we'll go dark horse first, mate, and then we'll all put our name to the one person that we're going with for the win. So who's your dark horse? Who do you fancy to maybe upset a few and get really deep into the tournament and potentially be a real, real outside winner? There's a couple, and I must admit they are heart predictions. They absolutely are heart predictions rather than head predictions. We've got Stephen Bunting at 150 to one, my boy. Bottom boy in the stable. Sam's never had the uh, the the pleasure of seeing Stephen Bunting take the off key. What I absolutely have. I've seen him now. Have you? I've watched it a few times. I like the uh, I like the little smirk he does as he's throwing. That's it. That's it. I didn't think you'd seen him because obviously yeah, watched the World Championship. Yeah, what, what mate. Was was it, the, was it UK so. Open, maybe? Yes, I, I think it could have been. Yeah. yeah, Sam, you've gone balls deep on darts, haven't you? Oh, mate, I've been he's, all he's watching that TV for, mate. He's got PDC membership. <laughs> he's, got he's, watching, yeah, he's watching. Yeah. Literally. I've had, I've had ITV4 darts on and everything. That's, that's yeah, yeah, I've been Bless balls you. deep since January. Oh, fantastic news. So, Stephen Bunting, my boy, bottom boy in the stable. I, uh, oh God, imagine if he won, that'd be absolutely unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my heart pick. But my realistic outside chance, uh, I'm going Dave Chisnell. Um, I've, I've always liked Dave Chisnell. I've always thought he's, he's, a, he's a good player, very likeable bloke. He played in the Premier League a couple of times when I've been to see it. Um, and, I, and I love his entrance theme. So, uh, yeah, Dave Chisnell is going to be my outsider at 25 to 1. Um, and hopefully Chizzy can do the business and uh, get himself back to the upper echelons of the darts world. Well, uh, I'm actually going to jump in now because we're talking about dark horses because mine is Gary Anderson, um, currently listed at 25 to 1, and he plays Chisnell in the first round um, on Saturday in the last game of the day. So I thought I'll jump in there. I think Gary Anderson, look, 
I've said it a couple of times before, he is my favourite darts player of all time. Absolutely phenomenal. His performances in, in the Premier League and the World Championships when he was at the peak of his powers, such an entertaining player to watch. Dropped off in recent years because of injuries, but I think the World Cup and that strong performance with Peter Wright, who hasn't been in the best form himself, there were little sprinklings in there of, of the of the Gary Anderson of old. Is he going to be that player that is competing for World Championships? Multiple, as he has done in the past? Probably not, but some really good stats in his last 200 legs he's averaging over 96 which is really strong and it's right up there with the top players in the world he scored 63 um rounds of between 171 and 180 which again is up there it's more than a nathan aspinall it's more than a johnny clayton it's right up there with your going price and your van gerwins is uh is 100 plus checkouts is sat at 16 which is um is tied third only behind johnny clayton and james wade so some of the stats in terms of his recent games he does seem like he's finding a little bit of form. And to be honest, to Chizzy, I've liked him in the past, but again, someone that's not the player that he, he has been in the past. And he's due to play either Cross or Daryl Gurney in the uh, in the round of 16, who again, aren't the players that they have been in the past. So I think this is a real great opportunity for Anderson for the first time in a while to get really deep into a singles tournament. So I do like Anderson at 25 to 1 as my, uh, as my dark horse. I think I'll. Uh, I think I think I'll jump in here. And by the way, I'm just uh, having a quick look over the uh, the opening round fixtures here. And I think it's a good job. Old Kempe uh, swivelled from uh, from Stephen Bunting of his dark horse because his first game in is playing Gavin Price, so it would have uh, it would have been right up against it from the start. Um, I have had my heart set on a pick um, up until about thirty seconds ago. Now my. <laughs> My dark horse. That was about two hours ago, mate. Two about two hours ago, uh, like for two days, I've had my pick and my dark horse, and I changed it about two hours ago. Joe Cullen was originally my dark horse at sixty-six to one, and then I, I had a proper look at stuff and I changed to Gary Anderson. But anyway, sorry. Yeah, so I was absolutely had my heart set on Dimmy Van der Berg as my dark horse, and the logic behind it was. Um, it, it was unbelievable in the World Cup. It was arguably one of the, one of the players of the tournament that, that obviously didn't go on to win it. Um, is just in. I think they have, they've just had a Polish Open and he got beat in the final by um, Van, Gerwen, Van, Ger- Van Gerwen. So he's he's playing some fantastic, throwing some fast, fantastic darts at the minute. However, I've then seen something that just kind of didn't sit right with me. And I seen I mentioned earlier that I've got a couple of statos for you about uh, about the darts, and I found a darts form guide over the last two hundred legs. Everybody who's currently in last two hundred legs. Number one is probably easy to guess. It's Gerwin Price at number I think, one. Yeah, I think it's similar to what I've seen there when I was given the um, stats for Anderson. Yeah, number two. Now, the, number two is the one I, I might just. Um, I don't know if it's quite classed as a dark horse. I think it is because I think you, you look. You look your favourites, aren't you? Yeah, he's in the grey area, isn't he? Like he's just outside the top three. Yeah, it's it's Johnny Clayton, isn't it? And um, yeah. obviously, his, his, his current average at the minute is is averaging ninety seven point eight six at the minute, which is unbelievable. It's um, the highest amongst those players. It is, yeah. I didn't even realise that. I assumed it would well, go on price. Yeah, go on price beating him on doubles. Price, sorry, you, you're right. It is just price. Yeah, but it is both. So yeah, that's uh, that was. But then again, I looked at the guy below him, and they had an even bigger reason to pick him, and it's Luke Humphreys. Um, purely off the back of the World Cup, I think he might have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. 
Um, obviously, Rob Cross has got had that had that number two to uh, Michael Smith, and he just did absolutely nothing. He weren't capable of carrying uh, Smith when Smith were dropping. That's when you need from your your number two. And I think Luke Humphries has got a, a pretty good stage here to show what England could have had going into the um, into into the World Cup. So yeah, I'm, I've changed at the last second. I'm going to go Luke Humphries. Interesting. Um, currently fourth favourite uh, in the book in the sort of book his odds but Aggie who have you got for your dark horse mate I am probably going to butcher the pronunciation um, Dirk Van Dwevenbode <laughs> I hope no, that's, that's the, correct that's the guy that oh, that's um, Van is the ball, earring guy isn't he the yeah, earring guy he, yeah. um, he, he ended up signing signing up for Holland didn't he because when Van Gogh dropped out due to dental right. work yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, uh, right. he, he filled in for him yeah he's 22 to 1 pun um, counter pun counter pun 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 what happened? Work filled in. Yes, yes, <laughs> unbelievable. Um, love that. He's twenty-two to one, and already this year he has won three players' championships, and he's been in two Euro Tour finals. I think he's in a fair bit of form, and I don't think he's going to go all the way and win it. But I think that sort of form will certainly put him in a good position to. Good compete. job you picked him for your dark horse to win it, then, isn't it, pal? It's not someone to compete quite well. Is it? I've got okay. someone separate to win it, don't we? Um, well, uh, why don't you kick us off with your winner then? Who are you putting your name well, to? Is it hold Peter on, before, before, we get, before we go on to winners, um, I don't know if it's sitting right with me that I'm picking for favourite as a dark horse. I didn't really realise it was that. I, what do you what do you reckon? Oh, well, it is depends it Luke, who you've got your winners. Yeah, he's fourteen to one. So how, how do you you know do you see that as an outsider or not? Depends who his winner is, isn't it? If I mean, I've like gone for Chizzy, and Chizzy's twenty-five to one, so yeah. there's not that much difference. There. All right, so yeah, I, no, I'm I'll all keep right it. With it. I'm all, all right. right with it. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it then. No I think problem. if you'd have gone like Michael Smith, I think. I'd yeah, I've got. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but, you know. That's fair enough. Um, but uh, yeah, go on then, Aggie. Yeah. You, you snake draft. Who are you putting your name to as the winner of the uh, match play of darts? Uh, Luke Humphreys. I've Ooh. got him written down as the guy to win it. Um, for similar sort of reasons to what Sam said yeah he's missed out on the Premier League he's missed out on the World Cup and with that chip on his shoulder I think he's got like a bit of a point to go out there and prove that he should have been the guy to partner with Michael Smith I mean, that makes my dark horse sound even worse now Aggie's yeah, making his favourite he's, he's well, um, right off there. that's Lorraine making you wear a Real Madrid shirt S that is yeah I'll uh, I'll go next with my uh, I've got a decent form I know I know I moved away from Van Gogh in the uh, in the Premier League but Predicted Michael Smith in the World Championship. Predicted Rob Thornton in the uh, in the senior darts as well. And I have also gone for Luke Humphreys as my pick to oh, win no, the match play of darts. Um, I mentioned when you were talking, Sam, about your dark course that I had changed my picks a couple of hours ago. I did originally have my name to Michael Van Gerwen, but again, just it was niggling away at me. Completely agree with what you mentioned. Completely agree with what Aggie mentioned. He was, you know, he was very vocal about missing out on the Premier League. He was very vocal, well, not very vocal, but you know, he missed out on the World Cup as well when he shouldn't have based on form and the quality of play at the time. He's been absolutely brilliant on the European tour. He's he's lost a lot of weight. He's worked a lot on his mental sort of his mental health because he has struggled quite a bit over the last eighteen months. And he's really put himself in a place where, similar to Michael Smith in the in the World Cup, uh, not sorry, World Cup, the World Championship preview. I spoke about sort of preparing himself for that big moment. I do think Luke Humphreys is getting to that point now, and I think putting him in a position where he's with the, the part of the 32 best players in the world, this is his moment to 
prove why it should have been in the Premier League, prove why it should be in the England squad for any international games. And yeah, like I said, originally I went with Van Gerwen, but the form Humphreys is in, I'm, I'm happy to put my, my name to, to him. So uh, yeah, I'll go with you on Aggie that one. Well, I'm going to I'm going to retract my dark horse then. I can't have a dark horse as two people having favourite. That's a bit outrageous from me. Um, <laughs> John, Johnny Clayton, where's he currently sat at in in the odds order? Um, I think I'd, I would say he's less of a dark horse than uh, seven. Humphreys. Just he's seventh favourite. Yeah, he's yeah. eighteen to one. I'm, I'm happy to go with that. I, I'm going to I'm going to swap mine out and put Johnny Clayton in as uh, as my dark horse then. If he's seventh favourite. Um, yeah, so I think he's got a t- he's got a tough opening game there. It's against Gabriel Clemens, and uh, he had an unbelievable yeah. uh, World Cup, didn't he? So he did. um, I, I looked at him at a potential dark horse, but I, I say he's got a tough run. That it's it's all tough. That's the you know the the quality, and I think that's in such a good place. You look at the history of the match play in the World Championships. You look at like when Phil Taylor was winning. You you put in match play and go on Wikipedia and look on previous winners. It's for Phil years. Taylor, Phil, Phil Taylor. Taylor. Phil Taylor. Phil Taylor. Yeah. Whereas yeah. now you you know you go on bet three six five which I've got in front of me and you load up the odds again it's it's a f- the the depth is phenomenal you know a a Desouza who's played in the Premier League and was brilliant one hundred and fifty to one Clemens who like you just said there Sam was brilliant in the in the World Cup he's one hundred to one Chris Doby who we know has come on leaps and bounds and won a big tournament this year eighty to one these are class 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 players. Um, you know, really currently seventh. Odds, so. Currently seventh in the form guide as well. Chris Doby is overall, yeah. and he's sat at eighty to one. So that really shows the depth of strength when it comes to darts at the minute. I think, honestly, Sam, if you if you get a good chance to watch this tournament, you know, I, I think you'll really yeah. really enjoy it. Leg format, it's fast, it's rapid, um, and again, the field is just strong. There's there's no easy wins, there's no easy games whatsoever. But um, you've changed your dark horse. Is it a Gerwin Price? Is it a Michael Smith? Is it a Michael Van Gerwen? Are you going for one of the big three? Or are you going for someone just outside that is your main person, your main prediction for the match play? Yeah, I did mention, didn't I, earlier that my, my two picks were quite boring and it would have been, from that moment, it was going to be Van der Berg and Van Gerwen, which would have been quite boring. Um, I've changed one. I ain't going to change the second. So I'm going to go for him defending his title. Um, I'm going to stick with uh, with Michael Van Gerwen. I've got no reason to no reason to waver from him just off the back of that uh, the the Polish Open. So yeah, I think he'll um, I think he'll come good. Yeah, that's fair, mate. Like I said, I've 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 had his name on my phone in my notes all week, and then last minute I've changed it. So. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you on that one. Kempi closes off, mate, with uh, your prediction. Who's the main man for you uh, for the match play? Yeah, I'm sticking with uh, sticking with Sam. Uh, the man, Ooh. the man is absolutely spot on as we've as we've learned about darts predictions in the past few months, <laughs> in the past few months. So uh, yeah, Michael Van Gogh to defend his crown. I think he was a bit unfortunate towards the back end of the Premier League, obviously picking up the injury that he did, and then the dental issue that he had at the, the World Cup of Darts. So I think he'll really want to get back now. He's fully fit, fully ready to go, motivated, um, and I think he'll be wanting to put out a statement saying, "Surprise, surprise, motherfuckers, the king is back." Uh, and I think he'll, uh, he'll he'll get his uh, get his arm raised at the end of the night. So I'm going to go Michael Van Gogh in as my my pick to win it all. Just an interesting stat on um, on that form guide as well. What I looked at, Michael Smith currently ninth that in, in the form guide. So you've got Gerwin Price one, Johnny Clayton two, Humphreys three, Aspinall four, which I, I, I'm surprised no one mentioned as a as a potential dark horse. Van Gerwen at five, Gary Anderson at six, uh, Doby at seven, Hetter your boy uh, at eight, uh, Michael Smith at nine, and James Wade at ten, making a making a career renaissance. So yeah, yeah it's, it's James. A, 
and, and a shout out to James Wade as well. If, if, if people haven't seen or if he's a darts fan listening that hasn't seen his interview with Simon Jordan, um, very, very, very good interview. No, I've not very, seen that. Very good in- oh, mate, yeah, get really it. It's very about Eric Bristow was, yeah, very good. Very good mm. insight as to as to the the mental uh, fortitude and strength that you need to have to be a top level athlete, whether it be darts or anything else. So, highly recommend you watch that, Sam. And uh, do. you know, didn't like James Wade before I saw that interview, really, but a lot more respect for him now, and hopefully, he can put in a good showing at the weekend. I got a lot of time for James Wade. Yeah. I mentioned, um, you know, to Sam, but obviously everyone watching the the match play because it is really good. The strength is there, but if you only have one time, uh, oh, sorry, if you only have one time, if you only have time for one game in the uh, first round, Hetta against Rock is around three pm on Sunday. So if you can get your feet up and stick that on, that should be an absolute cracker. And to be fair, that Sunday afternoon session looks absolutely brilliant. There's four games. Um, so yeah, if you're not doing anything on Sunday, get your feet up and stick that on. So what channel's it on? Um, that's a good question, actually. Let me have a look. It's usually on our TV. Um, but let me uh, have a look. Um, just you think uh, I'm watching a first round game that doesn't involve Steve Bunting? You're having a fucking laugh. I'm backing <laughs> my boy all the way, mate. You fucking watch it. Or it might be on. It might be on Sky actually, because um, it is. Yeah. Um, let me have a look yeah it's on Sky Sports action thank you so, very uh, much there you go so yeah if you watch any chunk of uh, the first round matches make it Sunday afternoon because that looks like a brilliant session but it's rapid it's like the World Cup you've got you've got games Sunday evening and then all games Sunday afternoon Sunday evening as well um, yeah really really good so uh, watch it um, right that's it lads for episode 57 Aggie how long was that you're just moaning about it being a quick episode are we looking about three hours one hour, 47 minutes. She's a beast. She's a beast. She's a beast. But look, once we get started, there's plenty to talk about. So, uh, lads, before we close off, the usual plans for the weekend. Aggie, what you got? Um, I don't. I think I might be going to watch Chesterfield, Chef United. That's not being... Uh, fuck you. Fuck you. Up the blades. Up them. Still going to go, but... Yeah, might be going there on Saturday. <laughs> Still going to go. <laughs> Prime gonna. Louis Spence, that. Prime. <laughs> like a whippet. <laughs> um, I'm not sure for the Sunday yet. I'm not decided. That's fair, mate. That's fair. Darts, there you go. Stick it on. Yeah. But, Kem, you're also, uh, you'll also be back at town, like I said, holding the world record for shortest time between sitting in the home end and the away end. Usually the weekends uh, consist of some kind of golf. Is it the same again, or is there a little bit of a break after the intensity that was your holiday in Spain? No, no, there's, there's no golf this weekend lined up or planned or anything like that. Um, Saturday morning, I think I'm going to go and do some swimming, I think. Nice. Um, I, 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 I made swimming part of my exercise routine last year and then kind of wanted to focus more on muscle building rather than endurance work so kind of knocked it on the head but while I was in Spain I was I was doing a bit of swimming in the pool and really really enjoyed it and and our good friend Niall Morley uh, Nidog showed a keen interest in wanting to learn how to properly swim um, he knows how to swim obviously but the front stroke and the breathing techniques and stuff like that so I think I might be uh, giving giving Dougie a little bit of a swimming lesson on Saturday morning and hopefully I can uh, 
catch him in the changing rooms as well. Um, and <laughs> I was Saturday just about afternoon... to say, he's, he's also had an interesting skinny dipping, hasn't he, based on a couple oh, of videos I've seen. Oh, don't you don't you just know it. Um, who do you think recorded them videos? Yeah, I, know, um... I know you recorded it. <laughs> uh, and then on Saturday afternoon, as we mentioned, uh, I'm going to the home of Adam's Tim Potts Byrights uh, and Sheffield United are going to get a 10-0 win. Uh, to get revenge for Matlock Town uh, in the uh, in the in the prestigious Chatsworth Cup trophy or whatever the bollocks it is. So uh, yeah, fuck you, Aggie. Mm. Fuck the spy rats up the blades. Uh, Sunday, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Sunday, I think it's TBD. Dawson, like it, mate. I've got nothing planned this weekend. Out for a meal. Uh, out for a meal tomorrow night. Being Friday night, so depending on when you're listening. Um, Saturday I'm going to go to Meadowall for a bit just have a bit of a walk around, a couple of birthdays um, for family and stuff so just have a potter about, no rush get a bit of food and do a little bit of shopping and then Sunday do next to absolutely nothing, I've, I've got my eyes on that darts now, I've seen the schedule so uh, yeah, my, my eyes are on getting the feet up and uh, watching that so that sounds good to me Sam, is it uh, is it still belt tightening? Is is star calling you? What's uh, what's your plans this weekend? No, no, none of that this weekend. I don't think. Um, just do me a favour when you're in uh, Meadowall, go and have a peep right corner at uh, Clubhouse. Go and uh, you might yeah. you might you might have a spare eight hour. Go and go and chuck on dartboard while while you're there. It's a bit of class entertainment. Are you going with DJ? Yeah, we're, uh, she's, we're going to do car valentine thing and then just go for a walk around. Like I said, uh, you and DJ at the darts. Yeah, she'd fucking batter me, mate. Stab me at neck. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, I'm not doing a deal this weekend at all. Um, tomorrow night, boring. Probably going shopping. Uh, Saturday is completely clear. I'm not doing anything Saturday. Sunday, however, I think I might be going to Costco. So when you kept saying watch Ooh. Sunday darts, watch Sunday, I, I thought I don't think I can because might have to think... have it on the phone while you're walking round. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I think I'll be going to Costco Sunday. So Saturday, I will be doing nothing. I don't think so. I will be watching probably plenty of darts. So yeah, happy days. I like it, mate. I, I'm I'm craving a Costco visit just to go to the food court for a pizza oh, slice and hot dog. So absolutely, uh, do, it, do it for me, mate, if you won't mind. It's a staple, isn't it? That's what I go up literally every time. Slice of pepperoni pizza, one pound, one pound fifty hot dog with your refillable drink. A little little hack I do: uh, fill my drink up, take it round with me, and then uh, then I fill it Ooh. back up on fill it back up on way out as well. So I take out, take, take my drink. Class, mate. Usually, class. usually it's after, so I've not tried that one yet. But oh I'll no, go before, go before. Yeah, yeah, go before. I like it. Probably a good idea as well. Shopping around Costco on an empty stomach's not good for anyone, is it? Exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah, Fair point. Nice little hack that. But lads, that's episode 57 in the books. We're fast approaching 60. And before we know it, we'll be celebrating the century. But uh, class as always, enjoyed it. Good to have you all back. We'll uh, we'll be back next week. Enjoy your night. Enjoy your night. Ah. Uh...